This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Now, here are your hosts, Jeff Sharon and Eric Lopez. Welcome to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. My name is Jeff Sharon. Joining me, the student of the game, Kyle Nash. Eric Lopez is off this week. So, uh, and also Stat Boy Drew, the Leroy Jenkins of UCF Twitter Mafia is here. And then he sells it. What's, what's the, what's your new nickname this week now? The, the, the I don't master know. It's whatever your flavor is. Master of the non one who makes them all up. College football hipster, by the he way. College football hipster, the master of the non sequitur, Andrew Glukov is here. The uniform snob uh, himself. We are, we are eyeball deep in football now. Uh, we have one game under our belt. We'll talk about that. UCF getting a victory over South Carolina State in a fashion that I think everyone was hoping to see. Uh, we will also preview the Louisville game coming up for Friday night. Uh, UCF's first big challenge of the season. We'll also talk about soccer and volleyball later on with uh, Bryson Turner and some transfer portal news as well. But let's, uh, gentlemen, let's go ahead and start with the task at hand and preview this Louisville game. UCF is a five and a half point favorite. 81% of the money is on the Knights. Uh, <clears throat> kickoff scheduled for 7.30 p.m. on Friday night against the 0-1 Louisville Cardinals, who got thrashed by my Syracuse Orange last week, which I'm very happy about. Uh, <laughs> over under 61 and a half, and the over is getting 91% of the action, according to Odd Shark. Um, so here's the story. UCF last week took care of South Carolina State, 56-10. to 10. Uh, We saw John Rice Plumley about as good a debut as you could possibly ask for. Uh, UCF had 600 yards of total offense. Now we're okay. We're going by these stats. And I just want to make sure that everyone understands that, you know, so we, so there were some issues with these stats throughout the game um, due to some technical problems, which, uh, which I'm sure they'll have, they'll have sorted out by the time that, uh, that we, we get to work on, on Friday, but UCF, you know, scored 21 points in the first quarter. They're up 28, three at the half. Uh, yeah, the, there were, you know, and we, and you guys talked about drew, obviously some of the issues that were, that reared their head during that game. I think the old line had, you know, I think that, I think their debut on the season was as expected, which is to say, you know, not spectacular, uh, John Rice Plumley did have that um, that fumble on that sack, and then and what I thought was the play of the game was he and Ryan O'Keefe chasing down Jablonski Green inside the five, and then UCF forced forced them into a field goal after that was that that for me was was the play of the game, um, uh, and then the special teams issues obviously Daniel Obarski missed one long field goal it was past forty yards, uh, but I think the real issue was the penalties in the return game that was the that was the that was the big one, but uh, I'm going to flip the script on your head here, Drew, and ask you to talk about the things that you were happy about for once. Um, <laughs> thoughts on you know you know what you were encouraged by from last Thursday that you look forward to seeing more of on Friday. 
Well, let's start with uh, the offense. Uh, one of the things I really like seeing, and this is always a big risk with mobile quarterbacks, is the going through his prog- going through progressions. And John Rice Plumbing did an excellent. You can watch him on plays where he's making. You can see his head move. He's making reads, and he's making reads in his progressions, and he's not just tucking the ball and running, which is very common for a run-first quarterback. He's doing what a true dual threat should be doing, which is on a pass play, look for the pass. If it's not there, you know, then you tuck and run. Uh, remember, his first play was a check down to uh, – his first throw was a check down to Isaiah Bowser. He looked. It wasn't there. He checked down <clears throat> yep. and got, got some good yardage out of it. Uh, there were times where if he looked a little harder, he may have found an open, you know, check down guy instead of tucking and running. But but you have to understand the heat of the moment. You know, you, know, you have to look over offensive line who are taller than you. It's easy for players to kind of get missed, especially, and there was one play in particular where Bowser is by himself, no one within 10, 15 yards from him on the left side, but the play moved to the right. And it's understandable to not see him at that point. So I can't really blame, you know, I can't really blame uh, Plumley for tucking and running at that point because that's where everything's going. And I thought that there were, I thought that there were a couple of, and forgive me for interrupting, but I, 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 I don't know if we were talking about the same play, but maybe, maybe we are, maybe we aren't. But I think that there was one, the play that I thought of, but there was one play where he had Isaiah wide open on. Yeah. A that's the one I was talking on, on, about on the left, but then he threw it to a deeper receiver on the left and the play got broken up. And I was Other, thinking, no, and I was no. thinking, Oh, he got greedy. Well, you don't want to make a cross body throw in that situation either. Jeff. Right. I mean, that's a, that's a tough look, I, but that's why I was thinking it may have been a different play because I was thinking something, there was something that happened to the left. He threw it, he threw it to a deeper receiver on the left. who was covered, thought he could fit it in, but he, but he was thinking, you know what? screw it, I'm going to take a shot because this guy, I think this guy, I can throw this guy open downfield and he missed him. Since you're, and, you're specifically telling me to be on the positive, I'm not going to, I'm not going to hit on the downfield throw because there's neg- a lot of negatives on his downfield throws. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm going to stay on the positive aspect. There weren't too many negatives. I just think he's, I, I think he needs to work on touch is what I'm uh, saying. He needs to work on not throwing into double coverage well, on deep passes. He did it multiple okay. times. Don't do that. On that, Drew. Um, <laughs> if it's a situation where Ryan O'Keefe is ahead of two defenders behind him, you let that loose. There's too many people concerned about how many defenders are in on a play. The target was there. He had them beat. He made the damn play. Now, there's a few he did throw incorrectly into double coverage, increasing the level of difficulty. But if you got a group of guys that's this fast and two people are behind him, i.e., Ryan O'Keefe's catch. That's not a bad choice. We need to stop being focused necessarily on the number of defenders in the window. Yeah, I, I do want to point out. Works. I do want to point out one thing as we as we nitpick John Plumley, John John Rice Plumley into the ground that he finished third, twenty of thirty one for three hundred and eight yards and four touchdown passes, and then he also ran for hundred yards on sixteen carries and scored one touchdown. And if I if I am not mistaken, he is the first UCF quarterback in history to throw for 300 and run for 100 in well, the same game. They revised that down because of the stupid sack yardage against oh. the rushing game that college had. So he actually got revised down to 86 yards on the day. Okay, now here's my question on that, because I looked, I, I, I saw the same thing that you saw. and They, they updated says, that to make those the official stats. Like Yahoo updated based on that, because uh, they had a higher number originally. Because the 100 is still up on UCF site, but I'm looking at ESPN. They they say 15 carries, 86 yards, which is what Yahoo has as well. Um, 
live stats, I believe, updated to that because, and and you agree with me on this. It's stupid. The pros have negative rushing yards uh, or negative uh, sack yards against the passing number. College has it against the rushing number. Drives me crazy. So in reality, he did have over 100 yards rushing as far as pure running, but because of the sacks, it goes against it. It's I'm missing. going. With, I'm going. I'm going with him actually having 100 yards rushing. Well, <laughs> you he's can't. No, he's you responsible. Can't, no one else for, will. He's responsible for five touchdowns, though. Correct. You know, if we're going to talk about the positives with him throwing, we would be we would be remiss, gentlemen, if we didn't speak to his ability to throw while taking hits as well. There were a number of times he found Kamori Gamble while taking the hit. Listen, say what you want about his downfield throws. I personally think the best throw of the night, waiting that last minute, taking that hit. Gamble gets an extra number of yards by the way that the ball was placed for him to take it down the field a bit further. Um, That's the kind of stuff you want to see from a quarterback whose job is to overcompensate. I shouldn't say overcompensate, but to compensate for a lack of protection. Being are you referring to the uh, cross body one? Are you referring to the one where he kind of he kind of you know he's running to the right and he's kind of about to take it and he throws it across because. Not my favorite pass was the one to gamble that he threw across. The spiral was perfect. Yeah. Uh, it was right in his gut. I mean, it was it was a beautiful pass. It was my favorite pass of the day. No, my, I, that's oh, not, go ahead, Kyle. Yeah, that's not the one I meant. But an excellent point that you're building on with me here, Drew, is the, that throw under duress. Listen, you want to hit Jalen Robinson down the field wide open in the spring game. That's adorable. And as much as Jeff wanted to sell me that product, I wasn't buying then. <laughs> <laughs> That he's that we're talking about, true. These two passes should have a much higher price tag on that than that uh flare we saw in the spring game because a it counts and b it was under duress. That's the testing we needed to see here, yeah. Well, and you, you, you're talking practice first game time, those guys on game time they want to hit you and they're going to hit you, so you know, you know, the hit's coming, there's that anticipation that gets in your head, even yeah. in the spring game, they're not going to touch you know, they're not going to knock you over, they're going to touch right. you, whatever, they're going to pull up. Right. I, um, one th- one thing I did like from John Rice is the fact that when he did miss guys, he overthrew them. Right. Well, and that's that's which is what you want, which is what you want to do, especially if you have the kind of speed that UCF has on the roster. It's like you know, it, I'm going to challenge my receivers to go get this and challenge them toward the open end of the field. It's funny. He he actually did a better job making the harder throws, and he yeah. missed some of the easier <laughs> ones. Which the Zach Marsh Wojan um, one, man, I tell you, he he, I, I'm like. I mean, first of all, that's I don't balance. know how Zach got that wide open. You want to talk about a blown coverage. I mean, there was nobody within 30 yards of him. And, well, that being and he almost threw it out the back of the end zone. I'm like, dude, I, I remember that play. <laughs> I remember that, that play. For that. Zach got uh, some beers for that. There was a stutter by Ryan O'Keefe that pulled in that other coverage. And then and Zach just ran right by him because he wasn't even looking at that point. He got sucked in by O'Keefe because we all know that wide receiver screen is a common play that UCF runs. Mm -hmm. And because it's gotten in their head, you know, it's the same thing as, you know, run to set up the pass. You you run, 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 run. Then you, when you do the pass, you can go over the top and they're not ready for it. Same idea. They're so used to that, that quick flare, that bubble screen, that it's going to bring those other DBs up a little bit. And you just send one guy over the top. And and in that case, uh, he never saw it coming. And the key is, is, is bring the ball down. Uh, you know what I was getting at. Also, was, also, and you got a guy wide open, just lay it up to him. I mean, well, if there, I mean there was point, nobody there. You can float it. Uh, there's no one in the in the zip code, 
So, I mean, you yeah. could float it. I wonder if it was one of those things where he's like, where he, you know, in the moment when he decided to throw, he saw Zach that wide open. He's like, Oh my God, you know, oh, your exactly. eyes get really big. And then, well, and then the adrenaline hits and you kind of, you kind of put, you kind of put a, you don't intend to put that much on it, but it's like, all right, I'm going to throw it. You know, and you're like, Oh my God, he's so wide open. This is going to be like, great. Yes. Oh, you know, I know. That 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 ah moment and then oh my god! <laughs> well, I, I can see how that can get in your head a little bit because like look at the 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 throw that the deep throw he made to Ryan O'Keefe that O'Keefe caught between the two defenders. I still that don't know un- how he caught that. By the way, I don't against no. and against a better defense that's a pass deflect that that's a batted away ball or an interception. Uh, oh, they weren't no 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 no. They're not. Uh, not the truth was that that throw should never have been thrown. Uh, the problem was it was actually a little underthrow. If it was over, yeah, the he top, did underthrow that a little bit. Okay, if it was over yeah. the top, there's no, there's no chance. Uh, yeah. It's the, what I did like, and, and we saw this on a number of the incompletions is uh, it, not so much the ones that he airmailed, um, which he had a couple on the sideline. He just airmailed them. No, but I'm talking about like, um, you know, like the, the gamble one that was dropped near the end zone and stuff like that. Yeah. He put it in a place where it was either the receiver or nobody. Right. And, and, you know, you put the onus on the receiver, make, you know, it touches your hands, make that catch. Yeah, that's, you did have, I think, how many really drops did you guys thing. count? Uh, I think yeah. I, I counted like, uh, I remember like three. Three or, I, I, I got four. four. I got Campbell, Gamble with a couple. Kobe Hudson had a bad drop. I, there couple, weren't like, too, too many. Uh, I feel like he hit those, like you were saying, Drew, he hit those guys right in the hands. I thought that maybe the reason why was because he put a little too much gas on it. I'm just possible, but I, I don't buy that. Uh, you know, this fair you now the South Carolina state guy had no touch on his throws, none whatsoever. I mean, everything was a hundred percent on the throw and well, against caused, that defense. <laughs> and, and that actually led to the, to um, that interception was the fact he put so much mustard on it. The guy couldn't, had no chance. He barely got fingertips on it. It was a tip throw. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I, I like the touch. Uh, you know, I, I think, because because Gamble had a bad drop and then made up for with, with that really good catch. Uh, yeah, diving after. catch that was great. So I mean, it made up for. Uh, I, I just think part of it it's it's part of the progression of going through that first game jitters. You have a lot of new faces on this team, and I, I think it worked out well. I mean, Javon Baker was just absolutely a man on fire, and I think it's only going to get better because he's he's the number two wideout. We, Ryan O'Keefe's the number one. So Ryan O'Keefe's always going to get the number one guy. The moment they switch, now Ryan O'Keefe has the number two guy and he's going to feast. So mm-hmm. I mean, you're establishing with a two headed monster like that. And we're not even, we haven't even touched the ability that Kobe Hudson also has as the third guy. We haven't even touched that because he had an almost non existent day. But if you notice the, the distribution of the ball, really wasn't needed. I'm, uh, John Rice Plumbing got the ball out, out to, what was it? Uh, seven different, seven different receivers. So I was going to bring himself, that up. Yeah. He yeah. had, he had himself a, a day, but he didn't, you know, no one caught the ball more than five times. Baker at five and then no one over three. So, I mean, he was moving the ball. That's part of the, the progressions, not settling on one guy. And other than you know, a few passes, I would say you love to take those back of, you know, you really should, you don't have to throw those deep ones. If, if they're not there, if they're not there. Don't force it. Um, uh, but he was willing to compromise. And then when things broke down, he would tuck it and run. And you automatically have two running backs in the backfield because he is a running back with an arm. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I thought that he played really good. Considering, let's also remember this is the first game he, he's played at quarterback since 2019. 
So, you know, we can afford to give him a first game he started, rather, I should say. So we can give him a little bit of grace on that. And those are things that, he, that he's got to work on. I also wanted to talk about, um, you know, while we had the chance, I'm looking at the uh, total numbers. Running game was on point. Isaiah Bowser did what did Isaiah Bowser things 22 carries 74 he should yards never have carried the ball that much in this game it wasn't necessary they should have pulled him out and let uh Johnny Richardson and then one of the two other guys Mark Anthony Richards or RJ Harvey be the other guy in the rotation I understand wanting to keep the starters in but when you got a guy who is injury prone and you look at his history Northwestern and at UCF there is a history of injuries yeah don't run well, the guy more than you really yeah. need to and you didn't my magic number was 15 carries. He had 13 at the end of the first half. Okay, you keep him a little bit in the second half. Pull him out. There, there, at that point, there's nothing really to gain. By don't, don't they, well, there. let me ask you a question. Don't the players have some, you know, in this case, wouldn't a player like Isaiah, who's a fifth-year senior, have enough input where, like, you know, the coaches are going to go to him and be like, you know, hey, you good? And he's like, nah, give me a few more. Well, based on last year too, Jeff, with 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 yeah. the whole injury situation, they already have that. I would expect that they already have that relationship established. We heard Coach Malzahn talk about that throughout the year last year about when he was nicked up and when they were trying to work him back in. They would ask him, you know, how he feels and if he could go and all that sort mm-hmm. of stuff. That line I think of- Isaiah has that. I, I mean, I'm not I'm not saying I, I know. I, I it just it would it would seem to me like based on what we saw last year and what you're talking about, Kyle, that he does have that sort of, I wanted to see RJ Harvey come in there. He had, you know, he missed last year because of injury. This would have been the perfect time for some game time. And I, I think some of those guys, I don't want to say got cheated out because uh, coach Malzahn may explain why he did it because he didn't feel they were in game shape. They needed to, to, to play longer and and kind of prove it to him. But I, I think we missed out on an opportunity to see, uh, you know, especially him who needs that game rep. He's so raw as a running back. But as we know, he's a wrecking ball on the field. Uh, I think, I think we would have, uh, I think we as, a, as fans, as well as the team would have benefited from him more so than, than uh, Bowser getting more carries. You know what he's going to do. You know what he can do. And he's, he's proven himself and, and he, he, he never slowed down, you know, yeah. and that's what you expect out of him. That well, like, said, something that's not on the stats, though, Drew, is this way now, Louisville is not able to scout him. Right. That's well, the other thing. And I wanted to segue on that because, um, you know, again, based on last week's stats, UCF with 600 total yards of offense. They held South Carolina State to 91 total yards. And despite only uh, and, and, and even in that case, only got one turnover off of South Carolina State, which shows you that the defense was really on point. But as we spin it forward to uh, Louisville, um, this is, I think everyone was surprised by that loss to Syracuse. Um, obviously, this is a revenge game for UCF at home. Uh, the advanced stats say that this game is going to be closer than, than, than maybe some people think based on what Louisville's result was earlier. Uh, Malik Cunningham is somebody that we're going to have to deal with Kyle, I want to start with you. The, what's your outlook on this one? Uh, you know, I I I feel like uh, you know Louisville was interesting. They, I think they averaged what six point eight yards per play against Syracuse, and yet managed to score only seven points. Well, right, but I mean, listen, there's a lot of there's a lot of firearm discharge to the metatarsals, which is to say, they shot themselves in the foot, Jeff. 
three turnovers in that game. Listen, Malik Cunningham had a fantastic completion percentage, and when you add the two interceptions, it's even higher, right? Uh, they had a fumble lost as well. Uh, so I think there's definitely a lot of element of first-week jitters there, a lot of stuff going on where, again, if you give the ball to the other team that much, it's Christmas in September, okay? So I think that there's a lot of what's going on there. And, you know, credit to your Orange for getting those points off of turnovers. Yes, that's really weird to say on this show. It's one thing when we're talking Browns with Drew, but I digress. All these <laughs> colors, what is this, kindergarten? Anyways, no, but at the end of the day, I think, and and this is kind of the message portrayed by uh, not just Coach Malzahn, but Anthony Montalvo and Ryan O'Keefe were both at the uh, Monday presser that, listen, it's really easy to overlook a team when you see that happen. And, 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 and to O'Keefe's credit, not only was it just as, oh, revenge, 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 like this being week two, there's so much writing on this game. Um, Malik Cunningham being a test, not just for the linebackers, but if you believe Coach Malzahn, the entire defense needs to watch out for this cat. Um, uh, Malzahn had recruited him back in his Auburn days. Yeah. In, in, in Malzahn's belief, this is still one of the best quarterbacks in the nation. I don't think he's wrong. In a world where dual threat is the way of life, Malik Cunningham is the kind of prospect you're looking for. Does he need some polish compared to last year based on what I saw? Sure. But we maybe he's got it. Maybe that first week, maybe those first week uh, jitters coming out, you know, the kind of things that make you miss simple inside blocks, if you ask Brian Kelly and LSU. <clears throat> but mine <laughs> is... You know, I, I, I like the attitude and Hey, listen, winning this game isn't just a lift for the team. Losing this game is, is problematic for trying to make that last punch while you're still in the American right to Ryan O'Keefe's point. This game could define their season. Yeah. Look and at, and one, one quick tip on Cunningham last week against Syracuse, 16 to 22, 152 yards, no touchdowns, two interceptions. That's over Ran 70%. for 34 yards. Right. That's over 70% completions. Right. When he threw right. it. You know, he, he, he made plays uh, that comes down to the offensive line. Uh, they were crashing on him because he, you know, 13 carries 34 yards. Of course you take the, the sacks into consideration and, and part of that. And, and he was, you know, he did have to deal with some of that. He was uh, sacked, he was three, sacked times. three times yeah, uh, for 13 yards of loss. Uh, so there, there's that. The other part that's inexplicable. I, 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 you know, Syracuse absolutely just blasts him on the scoreboard. But if you look at the penalties, Syracuse had 18 penalties. I <laughs> imagine if this, if they didn't. Well, now it, it, it's interesting about that 18 penalties for 107 107 yards, yards which seems like a really low number of penalties. A lot of false starts, I'm guessing. False starts, offsides, things like that. Yeah. A lot of five yarders mixed in there. Yeah. But yeah if, you're, if you're running and gashing against the team, uh, Jeff, which I feel like is is probably what Coach Malzahn's going to do, right? If you're running and gashing a team to keep Malik Cunningham off the field, hey, listen, <laughs> your orange did it exactly the way it should be done, right? Yeah. You got you created turnovers, you uh, established not only a, a running game where you had more carries but significantly more yards. You had five minutes more time of possession, and the only reason why you know it was only five minutes is because you were scoring on short fields off of turnovers. Yeah. If you want to win this game against Malik Cunningham by keeping him off the field, that's how it's done. Yeah, now, Sean, have... Sean Tucker, who's a preseason All-American, uh, 21 carries, 100 yards, and a touchdown. And then Garrett Schrader, Syracuse's quarterback, uh, who threw for 236 and two touchdowns, also ran for 94 and a touchdown. So that, so if I'm John Rice Plumley, I'm looking at that stat line, and I'm like, and I'm starting to lick my chops. And if I'm Gus, I'm looking at that stat line saying. Well, I got more guys than just Sean Tucker. 
<laughs> well, not only that, not because Schrader, you know, much like we're probably going to see out of Plum Lee, Schrader can can tuck and run. You sixteenth know, yeah, Schrader can score. run. He's got wheels. Let's let's, let's jump to the defensive side. Yeah, and so you have Tyler Hudson, who's their their best receiver. You you got a strong. You got two strong corners. You know, I, I expect uh, Devontae Brown to be the guy to to lock him down, and then the talent drops off a lot. So they're, they're going to dare Cunningham to throw the ball. They're going to force him to throw the ball. And, and I, I've said it before, and I said it during during night shift, and I wouldn't be surprised if they use Justin Hodges as a potential spy because yeah. he's got the speed to keep up with Cunningham, and he's got the tackling ability as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they they didn't have that really in place at this point last year. Uh, you know, they were still kind of putting things together. The defense really wasn't fully together. And, and uh, Traymond Morris Brash, I think, would have been that, but he didn't get much action until late in the game. Well, he the made a big play. None of the ends have the speed for that. The ends don't have the speed for it. The, the, the problem was Traymond does. Uh, not uh, that Bryson or... Armstrong. Yeah, was yeah, Armstrong was the flex really guy, guy yeah. and and he they actually moved him to full time linebacker later in the year, and it actually worked out better. He wasn't really meant to be the flex guy, but he was at the time. And it, and it actually came back to haunt them because he just didn't have that, that raw speed that you need from that you would get more from a defense back. So I think Hodges is, a, is in a really good spot here. He's got the mind for it. He's mm-hmm. got the legs for it. And he's got the arms for it. So I, I, I think if they, if, if they spy him like that, force him to have to throw the ball, win in the air, I, I think it's going to really help shut down Louisville's offensive momentum. Yeah. I mean, and it was Cunningham with his legs that hurt us last year in that game. Go exactly. ahead. Exactly. Imagine if Hodges actually started in that game um, instead of not coming in until the Navy game. That right. might have been something that that a prevented some of the injuries because you got guys who aren't as fast trying to chase a dude that fast. When you're tired, you're more prone to get hurt. And you know, granted, Hodges wouldn't have had the knowledge of the position that he does now, clearly. But athletically speaking, it would have been interesting to see. You know, now granted at the time, I think Hodges might've been banged up. That might've been why he wasn't in the position, but you know, listen, if, if you believe anything from a uh, uh, defensive coordinator, Travis Williams, AKA T will, um, he has done nothing but sing praises of how Hodges has evolved since last year, just on the strength of learning, but drew quickly to your point, you mentioned that they're going to dare Malik Cunningham to throw. That might be the strategy, but with a linebacking core this young, Gap integrity is going to be the most important thing to uh, execute that plan. And young guys looking chops for a game of this magnitude, that will be a challenge. Hmm. Speaking of, of linebacking, I, you know, um, uh, Walter Yates, the third transfer from, uh, I think it was Eastern Illinois, uh, had an absolutely awesome game last week against South Carolina state. Uh, they're going to be relying on him quite a bit as, and I think he's, he's kind of solidified himself early on is that number two linebacker behind Jeremiah John, uh, John Baptiste. Uh, so with, with Hodges kind of going as that tweener between to make it a four, three or ni- nickel, you could basically, you know, change your defense without, without substitution. So you never know what they're going to throw. Uh, it's, you know, it really, you know, makes it uh, hard to, to plan against when it's done right. And you have a guy now who's doing it right. As opposed to this point last year when it, it wasn't really, rostered right uh now you you've got a lot more talent and, and the thing is you know people were really afraid when 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 Tatum Bethune transferred and you know there was a lot of attrition uh, I, I'd say in the linebacking core Gus Melzon did a very good job hitting the portal 
and bringing in guys. It, you know, it, I think it's a, it's been a much better fit early on compared to the offensive line, which also had to be patched up. Uh, and and you've got a combination of youth as well as experience. You know, Kadre Mosier is still there, and and he's got a lot of talent. You know, Brandon Jennings is on the the two DPs of one of the transfers they brought in, Jason Johnson, who's the third guy at this point behind behind Yates and and, and whatnot. So that position I think is is really important against mobile quarterback. Yeah, well, UCF did lose a linebacker this week reportedly with Terrence Lewis announcing on social media that he is entering into the transfer portal, a guy who didn't, he didn't crack the two deep and obviously, you know, came in as a, as highly touted transfer from Maryland. I think it just didn't work out. Drew, were you able to, Drew and Kyle, were you able to learn anything about what happened there? Nothing in, in as far as details at this point. Yeah. Um, I mean, we just I found just, out last night as a, as, as of when this is being recorded. So yeah. I haven't heard anything yet. Yeah, he he posted that he was looking. I my guess was, you know, you didn't crack the two deep. I think he was looking for to get on the field a little bit quicker. Uh, you know, to each their own. To each their yeah. own. Uh, and everyone's it, looking for something. It's and, it's 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 a bummer, and you wish some luck. You know, um, you know, going forward, because um, you know, I mean, sometimes it, hey, the portal's like free agency, man. Some signings work, and sometimes some signings don't. Well, with the new rules that are going to be coming in place, things are going to change as far as the availability of when you can, you know, go into the portal and, and, and whatnot. I, I think the timing's not very good. Yeah. Obviously you, you, you're not going to play this year. You're going to sit out no matter where you go. And it, it could be an off the field thing too. Let's not rule that out. Yeah, we don't know. We just don't, we just don't transfer. Know. Yeah. It was, it was a rough transfer. He had some legal issues that later got dropped. Uh, so, I mean, it was, it was not a clean, you know, let's you know, come to UCF. Uh, you know, he's he's from the Miami area. Uh, maybe he ends up at an FIU overall, and they can use a guy that they can insert much more quickly. He's back home. I mean, it's it's. It, I think that may be a good fit. Uh, but you know, it just it didn't work out here. You know, the fact he didn't crack the two deep, maybe that was part of the problem. Could have mm-hmm. been how he practiced, how his attitude was. Sure, we don't know. All we know was, is the end result of negative was I wasn't yeah. even thinking of anything negative when I said that, Drew. It could have been something with his family, too. I it mean, could, it could be anything. Yeah. All, we, all we know is what's written in front of us, which was he wasn't in the 2 deep, and now he's looking to go somewhere else. Right. Mean, that's all we can accept as fact at this point. Correct. Well, I mean, I hope it, wherever he ends up, I hope it works out for him because, you know, he, you know, all these guys deserve to get a chance to play and a chance to show off their, the best of what they can be. So, if it can't be here at UCF, I hope it's somewhere else for uh, for Terrence. Um, <clears throat> so, last little bit before we go, guys. Uh, predicted score via Odd Shark thirty three to thirty UCF. My negative five or, or excuse me, a, it's a, a five and a half point uh, spread right now. Like we mentioned earlier, uh, both teams have split the prior two meetings, including last year, and then of course in twenty thirteen that legendary game up in Louisville. This is the first time that they're meeting here in orlando um seems to be a little bit of uh discussion around the fan base as to how this is going to look drew i want to start with you how you thinking this one's going to play out real quick because i know you uh, gotta go i don't think it's gonna be as big of a blowout as some people think i think it's gonna be something more like 28 uh, 17 i don't think it's gonna be a last second game i, I think gus Melzon and, and and travis williams are going to game plan against cunningham rather well they they've seen him they know the talent that they have and they'd have the coaching already in place as opposed to last room things were fresh. UCF's offense has did not play against 
uh, any you know a team with with a, a FBS level defense. So I, I take how they did with a bit of a grain of a grain of salt. You know, there's a reason why they didn't move up in the polls. You know, you, that said, you they did, did what they were supposed to do. You did what you were supposed to do, and and actually, there were areas that they struggled with against a bad team. Uh, so, uh, I don't think it's going to be quite the runaway, but I think UCF will win, and I think they will cover. Kyle, listening to Anthony Montalvo Monday, I heard two things I don't want to hear as a UCF fan. I heard a that that offensive line is something that not only they have a lot of returners, but they have NFL caliber talent at certain spots on it, and as well as that, um, you know, the amount of polish or I should say lack thereof that the team felt like they had in week one is something that they got a week to cure. That being said, according to coach Gus Malzahn, the teams, good teams improve the most from zero to one and one to two. Right. So there's yeah. still a chance for that jump and that adjustment to be made. Um, for my money, I think Drew's spot on that. It's going to be close. I know in the preseason, I actually marked UCF losing this game, but regardless of, of, of the uh, victor, I do see both teams scoring, um, 30 or more points, like a 37 30 is kind of where my mind is at with that. Um, simply for both teams adjusting to what they have in front of them on the other side, because as much as, as coach Gus has alluded to the fact, these teams have played each other. UCF is so very different, basically all over the field, um, you know, to, to assume a known quantity, there, incredibly difficult. But I mean, if, if I'm going to keep integrity, I got Louisville winning this game, but if I am wrong, feel free to let me know. I, you I, I would have given me. you. The I, I freak out about these kinds of games. I think it's going to be tight. I think it's going to come down to the maybe the last possession. Um, but you know, we have a we have a ace in the hole in our back pocket for this one, boys. You know what it is? It's me. No, not even close. They have um, never they have never lost a game I covered in person. Fair. All right. All right. We'll go with that one. But actually, I was thinking more our boy Roy Philpot, who's going to be covering the game on or co- calling the game on ESPN, two, along with Andre Ware and Paul. And you said never loses what he calls it. Uh, Roy Philpot's our good luck charm. Roy, if you're listening, we're always happy to have you uh, at FBC Mortgage Stadium for a UCF game. Um, you know, we always appreciate you. And uh, yeah, let, Roy, you got to bring us a good one here because, you know, UCF needs this one. Uh, on a Friday night, national television, 730 kick ESPN to UCF against Louisville. We will have full coverage for you uh, from this game. Guys, that that watch along that uh, Drew, you and Eric did uh, did pretty well. So I so I've been told uh, no one actually told me anything, but, uh, you know, they all told your wife because she was the celebrity. <laughs> oh, my God. She took over uh, and she didn't even know it. I had the the slider closed, the door closed. It didn't matter. You heard her through. When you when there was a touchdown, you heard her. When something went wrong, you heard her. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, you guys going to do the real MVP? Oh That's no, you're going to be here. You're going to be here. So yep. I will be upstairs at FBC Mortgage Stadium right. along with Kyle. Oh, with and, and yours uh, truly. And, and you, you don't count. Oh, well. <laughs> yeah, I guess you not. don't count. I'm busy. Uh, but but you know there, there should be night shift afterwards i expect uh bryson and and eric bryson to and do eric their thing that. Yep. noah the and uh noah and derek will be on the uh on the field shooting photos too so or actually i think just derek but uh, we're we're loaded we're everywhere I, yeah and, hey, listen we i'll your legion i'll be joining in the night shift after the post game press conference there too uh as we did last week that went pretty well always a good time when you can get the vid bomb from brandon helwig 
And um, yeah, no, good time all the way around. And Jeff, I will make sure he doesn't talk about food this time. Okay. And, and yes. make sure Please. that no one goes on the field. Yeah. Because that did, the, otherwise you're going to have some breakup. Hey, hey, Bry Bryson, listen, Bryson had ambition. He was going for the gold. You know, sometimes it doesn't work out, but hey, that's life and live, live broadcasting. There it is. When we return, we are joined by the guy who will be on the mic with Andre Ware and Paul Carcaterra on Friday night for UCF and Louisville. Roy Philpott, our good luck charm, joining us here on the Black and Gold Banneret podcast when we return. We're back after this. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. Jeff Sharon with you, along with Eric Lopez, who's dropped in, and our guest this week, breaking down UCF and Louisville on Friday, is, uh, well, we call him UCF's good luck charm, because every time <laughs> that he comes in to do a game for, uh, for UCF, he's... Yeah, it, we, we somehow managed to find out – UCF somehow manages to pull it out. We're going to discuss that with him. But uh, you've known him from calling uh, college football, multiple sports on ESPN since 2013. Uh, it was originally from, a, uh, originally from a place actually not too far from where I worked when I started my TV career, uh, joining us from his home in South Carolina – in Greenville, right, Roy? Yeah, Roy Philpott. Right. Roy Philpott joining us uh, from ESPN from, Greenville, from beautiful Greenville, South Carolina. How are you, Roy? I'm doing well, gentlemen. Uh, Jeff, Eric's good to be with you guys and looking forward to the bounce house Friday night. Once again, should be a lot of fun. All right. So, so back to what I was hinting at before, do you know UCF's record in games that you call? Well, you know, I, I saw that you guys had posted something about this on Twitter. A while we, haven't, back. we haven't gone back and, in, in the archives yet. And I regret the fact that we haven't, but so, I, I yeah. know that UCF has a winning record with you on the mic. A high yes. percentage at a, at a minimum. Yeah. 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 Uh, so I started calling football games for ESPN really in 2015. And I want to say the first time I came down there, or had you guys on the road was probably 2017. And I, I, I'm not sure if there's ever been a game I've called where, where UCF has lost, truthfully, because we were kind of there in the pinnacle of the Scott Frost era. Right. I remember we called a game in Cincinnati. And I mean, yep, this is a while back. We had a game in Cincinnati where UCF did not punt a single time, and they called the game in the fourth quarter because yep. of, of the of weather. Bad weather. Yeah. yeah. So, I, you know, from that point moving forward, I mean, especially down there, you know, UCF hasn't lost hardly a game since 2017. Yeah. I think it's like 31 and two. So I, I'm pretty sure, yeah, every game I've called, even when UCF's been on the road, like last year, maybe at USF or maybe two years ago, USF. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, UCF has won. That was so a win. Yeah, yeah, you've called you've called the last three uh, Warren I fours uh, between UCF and USF, among the, with you know with Kelly Stoffer and you know Laura Sizzler at the time. Uh, the big story this year is you got a new crew with you, with Andre Ware and Paul Carcaterra. Talk about that kind of a new lineup, the big Friday night games you'll be getting mostly and uh, with a new crew. Yeah, we're, well, we're all Friday nights, um, Eric, and it's it's a highly coveted package. I mean, to make no mistake about it because, you know, I, all eyes are on you for the most part. You know, people that are in college football are either, you know, in their hotel rooms or traveling to their hotel rooms that Friday night. That includes teams, you know, coaches. Uh, media members, broadcasters. So, I mean, you know, what what have I done the last five or six years? Every Friday, I get to my hotel room and I, I flip on Friday night and we watch it. And the ratings are typically pretty good. 
you know, the matchups can be hit or miss, but even, you know, sometimes if you have a matchup where, you know, may, maybe it's two teams around 500, maybe the teams aren't that great. It still, for whatever reason, produces pretty good television and pretty competitive games. And so, yeah, I mean, this is, this is something that uh, when they asked me if, if I would do it back in the summer, uh, the answer was hell yes. I mean, because it's, it's, uh, it's usually pretty good football. It's a great crew. I've known Andre and Clark for the last couple of years in our production crew, and uh, it was just a, a real nice surprise to get that call and to be a part of this on Friday nights. Speaking as somebody who's been around the world of college football and, and is familiar with UCF from your work doing our games on the road and at home, what is, at least right now, as UCF begins to transition into the Big 12 starting in 2023, what is the public and the national perception of UCF right now? I still feel like there was enough brand building in the undefeated season. And I think it really helps how last year ended uh, in in the first season under Gus Malzahn to where there's still, from my perspective, it feels like there's a lot of positive momentum that's still in place you know, regardless of some people may have viewed that this, the program has, has taken a, a half step back from 2017 or whatever year you want to produce, I still think the brand is very, very strong. And I think part of that is, again, the end of last season, the move to the Big 12, where, you know, it just it, it just a lot of things have lined up, even if you aren't running the table right now. Look, you may this year, for all we know, who knows? I mean, I think the schedule is more than manageable based off what I've seen so far. And you got got plenty of athletes once again, and I'm sure we'll talk about that. But the brand, I think, has remained intact. And I can't emphasize that word enough. Brand, perception is reality. And whether we like it or not in collegiate athletics and in college sports and college football, you know, how you're perceived and kind of the brand awareness that you've created over X number of years matters almost as much as anything. And that's one of the reasons this program got the invitation of the Big 12, you take a step up into Power 5 football next year, even though for the most part it feels like a Power 5 team. Um, so I think nationally the brand is in a really, really good spot. And I think this year is critical too, right? Because if you take that next step, year 200 Gus Malzahn, everybody's like, okay, this thing's right back where it was when it was at the pinnacle of the group of five and now taking that next step into the Power 5. Uh, so, yeah, the, you know, this this month, next month, as we get into November and how this thing unfolds this year, I think is critical. But I still think the brand is very, very strong. You mentioned, obviously, you think your first game was 2017 Cincinnati. It was Scott Frost year. And then after that was Josh Heupel. Now we've got Gus. Just describe it. You've had a unique perspective when you've covered UCF from these different coaches. Uh, what's it been like uh, dealing with them as you prepare for a broadcast? And obviously, especially currently now with Gus. Yeah, we. I remember that game in Cincinnati that we called at Scott Frost, and I went to our producer that week, and I said, hey, I, I want to do an on-the-field interview with Scott, like when they come out for warm-ups that we can play either right off the top of the show or during the game. And so uh, you, you, Scott was good with it. Um, yeah, everybody at UCF was good with it. And so we go down on the field there at Nippert, and we, we, we do the interview, and, like, you know, I, I'm pretending we're coming back from break, and, you know, maybe like 15 seconds in, I trip up over a word. And I'm like, oh, we got to redo it. And he just kind of looks at me. He goes, really? He goes, that's what you tripped up on? And, you know, he was, he was just busting my chops, which that's how you know Coach Frost liked you. And so we, we had a good laugh about that. But, you know, that's that's the kind of guy he is. And, you know, he, he expects, uh, 
He expects big things, even out of the broadcasters that are interviewing him. And so you go from him to Coach Heupel, who, I mean, everything, you just think about what he brought to the table. And the offense was so quick. And our interviews with him, our meetings with him were, were always uh, very matter of fact. And, and, and he was willing to peel the curtain back a, a little bit, which we always appreciated. And, and talking about his quarterbacks and some difficult situations that occurred, obviously, with injuries and those sorts of things. But but Josh was fantastic, and you know what? He's doing a great job at Tennessee right now. And then now with, with the Gus Bus, um, you know, last year had you guys uh, against Memphis and then uh, also the, the World on I-4 against uh, South Florida. And, uh, yeah, he's great. He's great. You know, I just want to see and hear about, you know, w- which Waffle House he's going to after you guys win a game and, 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 and how he's going to get his hash browns. You know, is it, is it covered and smothered? Is it, is it chunked? Is it diced? You know, all those kinds of things. And, and look, man, this is a big deal for him to kind of get his career back to, to where it was, um, you know, when he was helping lead Auburn to a national championship as an assistant and then uh, to, to really unparalleled heights as well as a, as a head coach. And, you know, with him and Christy, his wife, I, it just seems to be a, a fun story, a good story. And it seems to be a really good fit to have him with his program right now. Let's talk about Friday night, Louisville coming to town. These two got a history, not just last year and the way that game ended, which was one of the most, catastrophic endings in school history if you're UCF. Uh, payback in some way for what 2013 was when UCF came back and beat Teddy Bridgewater, Charlie Strong, and Louisville when what was supposed to be their sort of coronation, if you will, in their last year in the American, what was the Big East. Uh, so this is uh, this is sort of a rubber match here. First time these two match up in Orlando. Of course, Malik Cunningham is back. Um, UCF uh, suffered a lot of injuries in that game. It wasn't just Dylan Gabriel at the end. Isaiah Bowser suffered a knee injury. Several other guys missed various amounts of time. Uh, what are the big storylines that you're following that we'll see on Friday night between these two squads? Well, Louisville, first off, for, for them, I mean, it was a, an unusual game they played at Syracuse on, on Saturday. Number one, Louisville played late Saturday night. UCF obviously played last Thursday. So I was going to say, that's one way of saying it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's – yeah, right. That is one way of saying it. They, I, I think that their staff and, and certainly their fans were surprised at, at how that game unfolded. You go back and watch it, and it just felt like that, you know, Syracuse was able to run with Garrett Schrader, their dual-threat quarterback, which I think bodes well, obviously, for John Rice Plumley uh, coming up Friday night. But they played keep away. You know, Louisville only ran 24 plays, I think, in that first half. And then – Malik Cunningham gets on the field, and I think he started to press. So those two interceptions that he threw, one in the end zone, you could feel that. And so it was it was a perfect storm of sorts, I think, that lined up against Louisville in that game. And, and my expectation would be what Gus said, you know, this week, that UCF is probably going to get Louisville's best shot as a result of the disappointment um, of that season opener. Now, they're better than that. Now, who's also to suggest that Syracuse may be vastly improved? with their new offense under Coach Anai and what they're trying to do. He came over from Virginia, and he's got some weapons to work with with Sean Tucker. So file that one away. But I expect you to get a much more focused, a more physical Louisville team. And so from that side of the equation, I think you're going to get their best effort. And let's see what Malik Cunningham can do on the road. And with what they were able to do last year with Marshawn Ford, a tight end, and some other weapons, I'm curious. And, and certainly Louisville's capable of winning a game like this. However, you know, again, UCF plays Thursday night. Plumley comes in and it was just seamless. Now it's weird because I remember talking to Gus last year and I think this was, uh, I was doing a, a, a Sirius XM show for the AAC media days. 
And I remember bringing Gus on the radio and I said, man, I'm just, I'm interested how Dylan Gabriel and what he's done and his skill set fits in with your offense. And, you know, he said all the right things or you could try to mesh and do all these different things. It, it was good when he was healthy, obviously, but John Rice Plumley is more the Gus Malzahn quarterback. I'm not saying he's better than Dylan because Dylan can spin it. I think he's going to put up huge numbers in Oklahoma. But the dual threat quarterback, you go back and watch Nick Marshall at Auburn, Cam Newton at Auburn. John Rice Plumley is, is, is right there kind of in that mold. And so to me, like, it's just, it's a better fit. And so, all right, what does it look like after he sets all these career highs against SC State? Now in game two, where you expect more improvement, but against better competition. I, I, I'm just like, I'm, I'm foaming at the mouth to see, okay, is this like the Gus Malzahn offense that we saw at the end of last year? And Ernest time at Auburn with this kind of quarterback. And, and then, you know, Ryan O'Keefe returns and, and Johnny Richardson is back. And Bowser, you mentioned, who transferred in from Northwestern 17 years ago. I love all of these weapons. So, I mean, my expectation is that, you know, UCF is going to be able to, to, to score some points, move the ball and do what you would expect. Um, you know, the question is, can Louisville match that with, with Cunningham and, and some new wide receivers that have transferred in? And I think therein kind of lies the, the juicy part of the game. But I mean, my big thing on the UCF side is John Rice Plumley. I had his baseball games at Ole Miss. I remember him playing out there at right That's field, right. Swayze Field. And I mean, the dude's an athlete and he's well put together. So, I mean, it's a guy that could really, you know, he he could start to emerge in a multitude of ways, you know, if things break correctly here. And, uh, you know, especially in a primetime game like this where a, a lot of people in the nation are going to be watching. No doubt. Uh, Jeff was putting some pressure, too. You notice you brought up the other two games, classic Friday night games. You guys got to try to match that. Um, I'm curious if you've dealt with Travis Williams, obviously the defensive coordinator at UCF. How do you, what do you see on their defensive side of the ball? As you know, last year they had – it was kind of a transition period, but they really played well, especially in the second half of the year, and carried the team. Uh, there's high expectations for their defense this year in year two under T-Will. Yeah, and, and 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 Travis is a good coach. You know, our conversations with him last year were fantastic. Of course, you know, he's he's the budding musician and, and rapper and did all those things at Auburn, which which is awesome when Gus was there. But you know, I'm just I'm looking at my depth chart right here and it, it feels like I'm looking at what I was looking at last year, plus a couple of P five transfers. I mean, Trayvon Morris Brash returns, Jeremiah Jean Baptiste, and, and these names that I remember very well. Now, you know, Devon Wilson comes in from Georgia. I had him at Georgia couple of years ago and that's before he was in the big 10 i believe if memory serves me correctly so or maybe that was at uh, northwestern high school but at georgia you know he was a player so i uh, you know four two five scheme I, I like it uh they dominated sc state as you would expect so that's a step in the right direction um you know we haven't talked to, to the ucf coaches just yet but my expectation is that they're they're more than equipped uh, to be able to deal with louisville and, and the rest of the schedule but but just with Travis Williams, like he, I think he's got his brand. I think he knows what he wants to do. I think he's high energy. He's a great recruiter. You know, there, there's a lot there to like, but you know, there, there's some familiar faces. And I think in a game like this, that makes a difference. And it makes a difference too, where you guys talked about, you know, last year, devastating loss up there uh, at Cardinal stadium on, on the pick six, almost a walk-off pick six, Dylan gets injured, all the other freak injuries. And you heard that in Gus's voice this week. Like, that was one thing that kind of, I would say it surprised me or that I've forgotten about it. But I, I guess I kind of had. And I was like, well, well, you know, that's kind of another little little checkbox there that if you're a UCF fan, uh, you don't mind hearing. Um, so that, that, that probably also plays a role in, in all of this as well.
Yeah, there are some guys I know who are chomping at the bit to get back after the way that game ended. Let me ask you about it and zoom out a little bit. Um, you know, again, with UCF moving to the Big 12, I wanted to ask you about from your perspective as a broadcaster, somebody who's in the business, because we hear the media news all the time and the television contracts and, and all that news. And I'm sure you follow that, you know, pretty tightly as well. So <clears throat> how tightly do you follow realignment media contracts and and you know when you have conversations with some of your friends and colleagues in the business what are some of the things that you're talking about because you know i think a lot of these things have to do with inventory that networks like yours and cbs and nbc and and some of the other ones have you know want to want to fill and they have goals for revenue and advertising and all that and i'm sure you talk to a lot of the business folks about that from your perspective as someone in the business what are the things that you pay attention to when discussing the nexus of realignment and these TV deals that are coming through? Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. I, I pay attention to all of it, and especially because the bulk of those rumors and the movement has come during the offseason, especially like right before football season starts, where everything just seems to be ramping up. I mean, Texas and Oklahoma going to the SEC – SC and UCLA going to the Big Ten, the movement of the Big 12 last year, all that happened. It felt like just in a in a storm of events about a month before or two months before the start of the college football season. And, I mean, I, I find it captivating. You know, I also do a ton of stuff on SiriusXM, uh, on their ESPNU Channel 84, some of their conference channels as well, including the Big 12. Hosted Big 12 this morning just a, two weeks ago. And I mean, so it's I, I'm in it. I, I'm involved in it. I'm immersed in it. I want to know more about it. You know, I follow the rumors. You know, you you, you see that the Big Ten is aligning itself with Fox with that huge one point one billion dollar contract. And there's a ripple effect that goes across, you know, everybody that's in our business, because you, you think about it. Last Friday night, I was at Michigan State. I'm probably not going to be at Michigan State calling a football game, you know, anytime in, in the near future. Um, uh, and, and certainly not uh, throughout the rest of this decade. And so you just think about that and you kind of look around and soak it in a little bit more maybe than you normally would. So, you know, on the ground, you, you kind of think of it from that perspective. And then long term, you think, OK, well, you know, what what's going to happen in the Midwest with the Big 12, you know, in the Pac-12 and where are those rights going to go and how could that impact, you know, what I'm doing uh, coming up? And then you, you look at it from a bigger picture, Jeff, is, you know, what what's good for collegiate sports and you know, I, I think most people you know, around the country would say a two power conference model probably isn't in the best interest of college athletics in its totality because you're going to leave too many quality programs out. And ultimately, I don't believe that's how this thing is going to shake out. Nobody's told me that. That's just my opinion. I think we're going to end up with at least three power conferences and probably more, you know, closer to four by the time all the dust settles, just because. There's so many teams out there that I think that I know deserve a seat at the table that are capable of making a run, winning a national championship, talking about college football here. They get hot at the end of the season and their fan bases are rabid enough and support, you know, those programs enough to warrant that consideration. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think about all aspects of it. Um, you know, I, I won't tell you that I'm, I'm staying up and, and not sleeping at night, you know, worried about it because I do think, you know, that, that things are going to be okay. They just may look and feel a little different, uh, you know, as kind of everything happens with all of these leagues. But, 
you know, my, my educated guess is we're, we're not going to end up with a power two. It's going to be more than that because, you know, we got about 70 teams, in my opinion, that that have a fighting chance uh, to be in this thing and should be in this thing and have enough support to be in this thing. It'll have a big impact on football, have been big impact on other sports like basketball, which you've called as well. You've called many UCF basketball games, both on the men and the women's side with Brooke Weisbrod and others uh, there. Uh, some big wins there too, up in Tampa in the women's side and some wins on the men's side. Like I said, you're a good luck charm here. You're, well, you're always welcome here. Uh, but I'm curious, your thoughts from because you've covered Johnny Dawkins and obviously women's basketball, they have a new head coach now in Cynthia Messer after Abe leaving for Georgia. But they're going to the Big 12, which is arguably the toughest conference in the sport in basketball. That's a huge impact. How do you think UCF can, will fare from what you've seen in covering UCF from a basketball standpoint? Well, I, I think the whole transition to the Big 12 requires right out of the gate just more. And when I say more, it's more revenue, it's more fundraising, it's more facilities, and it's this whole just kind of movement to get everything where it needs to be down there. Uh, to be able to compete in the Big 12. Now, in, in basketball, it, it is an entirely different piece than what we're talking about in football. Because as you indicated, you know, Baylor just won a national championship. Kansas won a national championship. And from top to bottom, over the course of the last three years, yes, the Big 12 has been the absolute best. So you like the fact you have Coach Dawkins. I, I think there's some familiarity there that helps. But, I mean, you have to ramp up. I mean, you have to ramp up recruiting and, and everything involved with facilities. And look, the times I've been down there, you know, to, to call hoops or football, the facilities are right on track. And look, you're talking about one of the first indoor facilities out there. So you kind of know and understand already. But if you visit, you know, some of the, the, the big time power brokers in collegiate sports, there's going to be some work to be done there. And from what I've gathered, the UCF administration has been on the ball there. The naming rights to the stadium come to mind and some of the other fundraising efforts. That stuff is the backbone for what needs to happen to make the transition to the big 12. And I was pleased to read this week, just, you know, a lot of that stuff is the wheels have been in motion uh, from your AD on down to make sure that, that they're checking all those boxes as they go through. Because if you don't do that, then you're going to find yourself at the bottom of, of the new big 12. Um, you know, even with the departure of Texas and Oklahoma, you know, Cincinnati, BYU coming in Houston and, and plus with what you already have, teams that are used to the power five model and everything that that, that represents and brings to the table. Um, it's, it's a challenge. It's going to be a challenge. So, yeah, I mean, that, that adjustment I, I think is real. Um, I'm not saying it's necessarily going to be filled with adversity. I don't believe that, but uh, it, it, it's going to be interesting to see just how smooth it can be. And I will say, I think some of the fundraising efforts and the dollars coming in, the additional revenue streams that are happening right now, as they go down this, this kind of three track course, I think it's a good start, and I think that's what you need to kind of make this transition next summer. A couple last things before we let you go. We can't let you go by asking you've got called games in the bounce house. What's it like when the when that stadium's rocking like it's going to be Friday night? Jeff, who does PA, will be yelling, uh, and they're going to get him bouncing and bouncing. What's it like being in that press box? And do you tell some of your crew, do you give them a heads up since you've been there often? Like, hey, be on the lookout. This is going to get a little bouncy here. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, just pound for pound, it's it's one of the better environments in college football. Uh, there's no doubt about that. A, a lot of the crew down there knows that and is aware of that because you'll have some local guys that come in and some guys within the Sunshine State borders. But, no, I mean, we, we look forward to it. Uh, the, the World on I-4 that I've done the last couple of years, Memphis game last year stands out. 
where, you know, just when things start rolling, it, it's as good an atmosphere as you're going to get. Now, my expectation is what we're going to be close to a sellout Friday night. Louisville's in town. The revenge factor, power fives in town, all those things, plus the season opening win 10 days ago. Right. I mean, people should be hungry to see this team again. And so I, I'm expecting it to be loud. And, and look, my favorite thing, and I'll tell our crew this this week in our production call Friday morning. We want it to be loud so I can shut up, so we can lay out. And, and so that those sounds come into the living rooms of the one point, however many million people are watching, you know, around the country. And that that's great television. That That's some of the best stuff we can do. It's not me calling a touchdown. It's, you know, not us breaking down a play and explaining why this guard should have pulled and why they ran this twist or this stunt. It's a big play. And just the sound of the crowd and the vibe inside the bounce house takes over. And we've done games where you can feel that, you can hear that, and it all kind of comes at you all at once. That's great TV. So, yeah, we, we expect that. Um, and I think, you know, year 200, Gus Miles on, what's his team, won seven of eight going back to last year. He's never lost a home game uh, right. as a UCF head coach. So, and, and again, with Louisville coming to town, with what happened last year up there uh, in, in the Derby City, I think it's going to be pretty rowdy. I would be disappointed if it wasn't. Well, we're going to do our best for you. It's going to be exciting. (laughs) Yeah, get them rowdy. Get them rowdy there. But um, we just want to say, like I said, we're big fans of yours. Um, You know, like I said, we've – Jeff and I have talked about you and Kelly Stoffer because Jeff was a big Kelly Stoffer fan going back. Okay, to when he was I, got, I got I got Kelly I got a couple of Kelly's rookie cards still buried in my buried in my box yeah. over there. What are those Andre devices? too, by the way. What was Kelly's uh, rookie card? Nineteen sixty four. What year was that? I don't know. <laughs> 90, 91, I think is is what it was. Ninety ninety one somewhere around there. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna let him know. I think it was more like the, the late 1960s, but we'll uh, we'll go. <laughs> he wasn't we'll wearing go. a single bar face mask or any of that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. 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 And Andre Ware, Andre Ware was was what uh, 91 with the Lions, I think, somewhere around that. 80, 89, I think, was his yeah. first year. But yeah, okay, right around that 89, 90, 91, right around there when he came out of Houston, he went to Detroit. So, Very so good. yeah, we're looking forward to seeing you. He's my trophy winner. And a Heisman Trophy winner, yeah. And uh, and we're looking forward to seeing you and Andre and Paul Carcaterra on uh, Friday night, 7.30, kickoff on ESPN2. And you can follow Roy at Roy Philpot. That's P-H-I-L-P-O-T-T. Two Twitter. T's on the end. And give me the updated weather forecast for Friday because it, it started to improve when I checked later today. I, I, a little rain's okay. Just keep the storms away. What, what, what do we know about the yeah. weather down there? What's it doing? All right. Well, this is where we check in with Black and Gold Bannerets unofficial meteorologist Eric Burris, who's a UCF graduate and works at uh, West Channel 2, the NBC affiliate in town. Uh, Eric, did you see what he had for his, uh, for his forecast? It, the problem is, Roy, it's, it's, Flo- it's Florida. Yeah, it's yeah. Florida. It, it could rain at any moment. Hopefully, for your sake, you don't run into the issue of last year with the Boise State where yeah you know, the problem isn't the rain the, the problem is yeah. the lightning yes and yeah. we lucked out last thursday where we had a storm blow through but it was an hour and a half before the game and the lightning got out of the eight mile radius before uh that's the before, key well before kickoff and so we were able to get the warm-ups in and get the game started um but yeah, it's gonna be it's 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 gonna be a little iffy. But Eric Burr, Eric Burris, WESH is the guy that you want to follow for the late. He's the best. 
Um, okay. what, a we're plug. Expecting, what a plug. Yeah. Look, 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 we're all in this. We're all in this together. Like, okay. Now, Roy, I worked in Tacoa, Georgia for two years back when there was a CBS affiliate in there. So, and I know you did Clemson baseball. You're a Clemson graduate and a couple of other sports at Clemson. We had to have crossed paths at some point around 2006, seven, eight. Is that right? Yeah, I was, um, yeah, we probably did because I was, I was working as a writer and then in radio, as you indicated at that time, I was probably doing mostly pregame stuff. And just starting into TV in, in around 2009, I, I broadcast some high school football for a local ABC affiliate. That was kind of my break, so to speak. Yeah, that was um, the station yeah, up in yeah, Asheville, would, right? Yeah, it was out of Asheville, WLOS. Yep. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so yeah, we probably did. Um, but that, that seems like a long time ago, which just means, Jeff, we're getting old. That's what that feels like. <laughs> it's, well, I, it's, it's, it's not a long time ago, and yet it is a long time ago at the same time. But try, try telling that to somebody that's not that long ago, to somebody that was born in 99 or 2000 or 2001, like the people that are now 21 oh my gosh. now, and they're going to laugh at you, and they're going to laugh at yeah. me, and they're going to call it very old. I, 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 we got some young people on our black and gold banner at staff who are like, you know, Dante Culpepper, that was before I was born. And I just want to throw oh. myself out the window. I, I can't no. even anymore. No. <laughs> Roy Philpott joining us here from ESPN. You can hear him with Andre Ware and Paul Cal- Calcaterra on ESPN2, 730 kick UCF against Louisville. Roy, thank you so much for joining us. Looking forward to seeing you in the press box on uh, Friday night. Safe travels getting down here. All right. Appreciate it, gentlemen. Thanks for having me. All right, that was awesome. Thanks to Roy Philpot Again, Roy Philpot on Twitter, P-H-I-L-P-O-T-T on Twitter. Uh, we confirmed it. I think we confirmed it with his game being the first UCF football game being Cincinnati. I think the track I, record's been very, uh, very good. I, I want to double check, you know, because due diligence, but we'll, we'll figure this out. It's a high winning percentage. It, it is a very high winning percentage. And he's great. Right. He's a great guy. Great crew. So we got him and Andre and Paul Carcaterra joining us on uh, Friday. So that should be a lot of fun. Um, And the implications for this game are going to be pretty big as well. Speaking of implications, gentlemen, let's talk a little bit about uh, some of the news that broke down uh, earlier this week. Andrew Glukov joins us uh, in the house as well to talk about this. It's the uh, news on the college football playoff expansion. We thought it was dead in the water for a little while um, after the board of directors, that's the uh, athletic directors uh, kind of, you know, hemmed and hawed at each other for a little bit and then decided to table it. Well, then the board of managers got together. That's the presidents. And they have come out and said, enough is enough. We're going to do this and we're going to work it out. Yeah, we're gonna, we want that money. Money. Cha-ching. Can we get more money sounds? Well, like, like we said, Eric, and you poo-pooed this, too much money on the table for them yeah. to just pass well, up. They are, well, they are a bunch of prostitutes. So that's Sorry. Hey, well, look, call them, call them names all you want. But Well, that's fine. But here's the thing. Let's not complain anymore when players ask for money. Let's not do that anymore. Well, let's, it's a little, it's let's a little lay that aside. Okay. All right. And talk about this. Uh, the expansion is like they want 12. Uh, the CFP, Ross Dellinger was the first to report this. Uh, six conference champions ranked highest by the selection committee, plus the six highest ranked teams not included among the six highest conference champions. Rankings will continue to be done by a selection committee. 
four highest ranked conference champions will be seeded one through four and each receive a first round bye. Other eight will play in the first round with the higher seeds hosting either on campus or at other sites designated by the higher seeded institution. Uh, there's a couple of other details going on through, but they've actually gone, gone ahead and said, you know what, this is what's happened. Uh, and uh, at least by uh, Drew, I, I think I saw at least by 2026, but they're trying to swing this so that they can do it by 24, if I'm not mistaken. Is that correct? Yeah, there's a lot of moving parts to make that work before they were kind 2026. Of like, yeah, they were and kind of like, like a, we're that's get, the best we're, case. Yeah, we're, they were kind of like, you know what, we're going to give it the old, forgive the expression, college try to get this in by 24, but we'll definitely have this by 20. I just think it's hilarious that the presidents looked at the ADs and were like, enough, we're doing this. My favorite comments was, was with uh, the ACC commissioner, uh, uh, Jim Phillips, and he, uh, you know, in January, when they shot it down, the whole line shot down thing. He said some of the lines that the membership is uh, very much aligned in this position, um, but now is not the time oh, really? to expand. And then, wait, 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 it gets better. Then let's fast forward to just last week. The ACC has been clear from the start that it supports CFP expansion. We are grateful for the ongoing discussions. Oh, it has been I, clear I from called, the start? <laughs> yeah, I got to call major BS on that. That's a That's a crock of something. Uh, and it doesn't smell very good. Uh, basically, he, he was read the riot act and he's like, basically, and he's being told to go the company line because the president's got tired of this. I, I mean, this is just absolutely, it's ridiculous how they've kind of 180. Because uh, here's the thing it's still the same time frame. Yeah. And the, and, but that also shows you who wears the pants in the room it's the president's. Uh, well, the presidents make the choices. They yeah. ultimately they're the ones who make the choices, not not the commissioners, not the athletic directors. It's the presidents who have to sign off on this stuff. Right, and they're the, they're the guys who. At the end of the day, they're the guys who drive the bus. Uh, what does this mean for you know? Given what we've seen with with realignment, what does this mean for the Pac-12? Does this? Do you think this gives them a bit of a lifeboat? No, uh, I don't think it changes anything. Uh, and the truth the truth is the the truth is that uh you know with it comes down to the the money aspect uh you know these these schools need the budget to be able to, to make things meet they're not going to get it they the conference just doesn't have value and you know it's not going to change anything sure you're going to get some access and you're, you're going to get an incremental amount from as a result of getting in because you're going there's a there's going to be a per unit basis kind of like the NCAA tournament you know, per unit, you know, school that gets in, you already got some guarantees and whatnot, uh, but they're not going to get enough to make it worthwhile. And, and, you know, once the Big Ten decides, you know what, we have a possibility uh, of, of strangling the TV ratings, which, you yeah. know, if they can get the Western flank taken care of, they can strangle the TV ratings, uh, you know, then the, the Pac-12 is a, is a dead man walking. Um, Eric, you're a G5 conference. Are you happy right now? You better be, because this is as good as it's going to get. So shut the hell up. That would be my advice to the G5s. This is as you be, should be grateful. You ought to be thanking every Greg Sankey's and like Jack Swarbrick's and say, thank you. Thank you very much. Because you might get two spots out of this, uh, depending on certain years. If, you know, the conference champions, say the American and the Sunbelt, for example, 
maybe get finished that fifth or sixth. The one thing I like is there's finally we have some criteria because I have said for five, six years, give me some criteria, then we can have a discussion about this playoff. And I think at least we're going in that direction. Uh, I agree with Drew. I don't think this helps the Pac-12 at all because if I'm Oregon and Washington, I would rather make more money and be the third best or fourth best team in the Big Ten because I'll make the playoff anyway than being the second place team in the Pac-12 and make, you know, nothing. So I think this is great news for the ACC for now because I think this will keep them until next decade at least somewhat satisfied. Uh, If I'm the Big 12 uh, and I'm UCF, I'm not really crazy about the six conference champions because I want as many at-larges available. Uh, And I just don't think the Big 12 is going to get more than, at best, two bids in a year. Uh, I think the SEC and the Big 10 will dominate the at-large bids. I think Notre Dame, nine, all right, for argument's sake, 10 wins easily gets into the playoff. Uh, So to me, the bigger, the rich will get richer and the little what the little guys will get the little scraps and they'll get beat up in the first round on the road i don't necessarily share your optimism on notre dame i think that they at best depending on who the loss is if they have any more than one loss they're out you're you're no 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 notre dame sure. will get yeah. notre dame with remember you're gonna have any teams more, with sorry, three losses. I, you're gonna have teams with three losses get into the playoff. If you think they're gonna put in a one-loss team from a from a conference that nobody no, cares about, you you are said, not gonna get three-loss teams. I will bet you any money you want. Notre Dame will get in over a Big 12 second or third place team. It's gonna happen. No, I don't. Brand, see, wait, look let, at let, the TV on, numbers. On, look on at the TV let's numbers. Say, you, so you're saying, let's say it. Let let's say for argument's sake. You get a Houston. Yep. Large TV market. Yep. Okay. Number four TV market in the country. Correct. Goes 11 and one. Yeah. Finishes in, th- somehow finishes in third place and gets frozen out of the Big 12 championship. Yep. They're going to put 10 and two Notre Dame yes. in over Absolutely. A hundred percent. Absolutely. No they way. do it now. No way. Notre Dame, they do it now. Notre Dame finished fifth this past year. Look at who they beat. They beat barely no anybody. Way. No, he's your right. Drew, Drew, talk Drew. some sense into this, man. Well, I mean, it's, it's, I, I'm kind of going in the middle here. A two-loss Notre Dame is going to get in. Thank you. A two-loss team. A three? No. Who did they, okay, who did, who did they lose to? Uh, last year, they lost to Cincinnati and some bag of potato chips that I can't Oak think State. Of Oak State in the bowl game. Oak State in the bowl game. I mean, if you, uh, if you, if you have, a, if you have a, a Notre Dame team that goes 10-2 and two and loses to – Navy, no, I'm sorry. Well, if Navy's remember, good. They, they yeah, they Navy went... when Navy was good. Uh, Correct. I mean, it's right. all about context. You know who's good that particular year. Uh, but Eric's out here saying that nine and three, and they're guaranteed. I think nine and three year. can get them. No, in. no. Uh, I think no. they can absolutely. If Notre no. Dame, sorry. let's say no. let's say Notre Dame this year. Let me let me just play. Let's say this year Notre Dame goes nine and three, loses to Ohio State, loses to Clemson, and let's say they lose to USC, who wins the Pac-12. They're going to get in. They're going to get in. No. You guys may not like it, but they're going to get in because you're going to have mediocrity. But Eric, Eric, it matters how everyone else does. It really does. Right. Now, what helps them them is the fact that the Pac-12 has started off. Exactly. And nobody's going to respect the Big 12 without OU and Texas. Now, let's let's address. They got to prove it it on the field. They They got to prove it. And I don't expect them out the door. And this sport. Oklahoma State does does have some goodwill. They, you know, they've been. Uh, a team that was shut out of the BCS national championship game you know, a decade ago. 
So they've proven that they can get to that level. Baylor, not far off. So there is some goodwill there. Got to prove it, like a, you, but you would agree. Got to prove it non-conference, and that and that's the one. Oh, yeah, always. I, hopefully, always. hopefully, this will encourage more non-conference quality games moving well, forward. But, I, but let, I me, do, let me hit something real quick on that. Um, yeah, because this isn't changing. Uh, most of these power conferences have rules in place that require a power conference as your out-of-conference schedule. Yeah. So you're still going to have the Big Twelve is still part of that. So they're they're going to have legitimate out-of-conference games still available. The question right. is, can a program like a UCF, who's going to probably be a mid-range to get started, are they going to be able to lock in more big, solid out-of-conference right? games? They're, they're going to need it. Florida isn't enough. It's, I agree. You know, it's great that they have them. And I'm, I'm actually happy they have three matchups. And I hope they stay They stay on the schedule. I know the first one will. But let's, let's hope the others all work out. Uh, all signs point that they'll stay because of state pressure. But – you, know, you never know until it happens. Well, I've seen uh, I've seen no indication that they would leave. Well, they they came out and said that one that we want to keep these because you know it's the state of Florida, and, and you don't want that kind of in state. You don't want in state politics to start getting in the way of things. And if you back out, now you well, open the door for in state politics to start messing with you. Even though they're the they're the flagship school, you're gonna bring pressure down on you that's unnecessary. There's other games you can get rid of. Once the schedule, because the schedule is going to have to be messed around a little bit once they get to 16. Well, and that's the only concern. The only concern there, Drew, is if the SEC, for example, decides to go to nine conference games, Florida will have to drop somebody. And I know in one of those years that they play UCF, they also play Miami and Florida State, I believe, uh, I think, or Sanford. I I was some combination like that. So uh, if it gets to nine, that's where I start worrying. But I agree everything what you just said. UCF's going to have to schedule well. You're not going to get rewarded finishing second in the Big 12. That's my point. No, um, but but they will get in if they win the Big 12. Anytime oh, I agree. With, I agree. Big, agree. They agree. will yeah, be yeah, in the top. Yeah, yeah. No, I so, agree. I 100%. So from that standpoint, you see, you know, the Big 12, it, it, this isn't a bad thing for the Big 12. You kind of made it sound it was a little more doom and gloom. This isn't a bad thing. This is a guarantee because they are all but guaranteed. Yeah, but you know, but, no, but, Drew, my, but nobody's going to be, nobody's ever happy in this sport. And what's going to happen in five, six years, Jeff's going to do this podcast upset that the SEC gets three bids every year and that the Big 12 only gets one or two bids. That's where we're headed with this. And that's, well, I'm, except, you know, except your role. The Big 12 is, okay, is basically going to be a mid tier. Uh, you know, it's going to be, you know, you have the Big Two, right. the, mid, the Mid Two or three, and then the lower guys. Right, just, right, you, know, right. you got to accept where you are in the pecking order, and this is our new reality. Yeah, the Big 12 may get two in, and if something weird happens, maybe a third, if, if, like, if it's a crazy season. Right, right. But oh, I no, think that's all, two that's all out of the Big 12 is a very realistic chance. It depends. So, with a good I, season. So, good so, season. What you're saying, so what you're saying, Eric, and I think, Drew, you probably agree, is that like a normal year with a tw- in this format, 12 teams, top six conference titles, you're thinking it's going to be three SEC, three Big Ten. That gets us to six. Two ACC. Possibly. That's eight. Two Big 12. That's 10. All right, so that's four conference champions. And then the... We'll see what happens. American and Mountain West well, champion. Well, in the Pac-12, if it's still around. Sure. Or the, I mean, or yeah, the Pac-12 champion, right. the American champion. We got to see how this all plays out. Again, Notre Dame's going to have a, a, a seat in the table. They're going to have a seat in the table. I'm telling you. 
Uh, yeah, but Notre looks- Dame does not get in on the auto four. They cannot qualify. For, oh, I agree. For four but seeds. So, all they need, right. if they get They're- in, if they get ten wins, let's say. All right, I'll, I'll give you. I'll, I'll, ten wins gives you a two loss. That's what I'm going to be in. Two right. loss team okay. in. All right. It, depend, it depends on – I think it depends on who those two losses are to. I disagree. It's Notre Dame. They're going to be it. But here's the bigger question with the playoff that I have that nobody's asked this question because the majority of the media, not Ross Dellinger, he's good, but the rest of them are just, you know, cheerleading pom-poms and don't ask the real questions. One of them being, when? When is this playoff going to take place? And I'm not talking about the year. I'm talking about the month. Is it going to be December or it's going to be January. That Drew, was that was we talked about me. we talked about this, and I, I actually want to bring this up because uh, we you, we we talked about this in our you know we have a a little message to join. <laughs> we go back and forth, and yeah. we actually had a really good discussion about this. Yeah. Prior well, I, to before, last uh, year, Drew, Drew, hang. I'm so sorry to interrupt, but hang hang tight on that for one second because there is a bullet point on this on what Ross Dellinger reported, and I wanted to get this out there. The model allows for first round games to be played either the second or third weekend in December in a way that best accommodates the format and the participating teams with at least 12 days between the conference championship games and the first round games. The management committee would make the final determination of the calendar. So at least we have a little bit of something to work with there. So, so Go ahead. I'm sorry. So let's start that. So Eric brought up two points during our discussion. The, the issue of the NFL playoffs and the issue of Army-Navy. Well, I kind of brought up Army-Navy. But with the change of the NFL schedule going from this uh, 16 games to 17 games, pushes the wild card weekend back. So as a result, you don't have to change your national title game. You can stay, you can, you can stay where you are. This means the first game, the first round, could be the week after Army Navy, the two weeks, fourteen days after conference championship, you know, Saturday, right. and you and that gives it the re- the window to push it earlier to Thursday, twelve days after conference championship. So, so you have because you need four weeks, and that gives you your four weeks. You got, uh, you know, third, uh, third and fourth week in December, either the fifth week of December or first week in January, however it plays out, and then. The, the the championship game on that following Monday, which will be the week, uh, the Monday before Wild Card Weekend now, because the NFL schedule pushed mm-hmm. one week further. So it actually it, it, the schedule possibility is already there. It's now just about implementing. Yeah. Well, I mean, at least they have a framework for that. But as long keep it, it, just just don't go against the NFL, please. Just don't be stupid. Like, this is the same group that thought it was a great idea to put a semifinals on New Year's Eve, thinking that people would change their, you know, habits of celebrating a ball dropping to celebrate a new year. So that's why I'm a little they skeptical. Did it they did it once. They made it a mistake. Twi- they did twice. No, it's been twice. Well, yeah, but they didn't care. But the second time they didn't mark twice. But, but I, I, I think we are. But I think we are headed. And and this is the part, the political part of it that I think is really interesting is with the Pac-12 now on the ropes. That's half the Rose Bowl. The presidents can now turn to the Rose Bowl and say, "Look, you need to play ball now, because we're going to take away no, they don't. conferences." No, they don't. They and the Rose Bowl is going to sit there and say, "You know, we." We have that time slot on January 1st. They could say, you know, fine, you're not going to be a part of the rotation. And the Rose Bowl can still survive with that. They're the one bowl that does it. Oh, it'll survive, but it'll be one step above the Idaho Potato Bowl. No, 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 no. Drew's right. The Rose Bowl is by far, by far, the most 
important bowl game. Like it draws ratings when it even when like look at Ohio State Utah last year drew a monster number. It'll actually draw better than most of the playoff ratings, even but if it's. it's I a, see no. I, hold on right there. I think it draws well because of the time slot that it's in three thirty Eastern and habits on, people on, are, on Jan on January first. If, if you move the Rose Bowl somewhere else and you put the Fiesta Bowl in that time slot, guess what gets the ratings? The Fiesta Bowl. No, it doesn't. No, yeah, it no, does. that's been, no, it Especially, does. It's proven. Yes, it does. Especially if it's a national semifinal. Wherever Sorry. the Big Ten goes, the viewership will follow. The numbers, the numbers speak for themselves. The Big Ten speaks for itself. We've, we've already right. seen it right. with, with this past week. Ohio State-Notre Dame, one of the best uh, week one games they've had in recent memory. Yeah. And then, you know, Michigan – in in a cakewalk against Colorado State ended up being number four. I mean, you're not, it wasn't even a good matchup. So I mean, Big Ten gets eyeball. That's why they're getting a hundred million dollars a year. I, contract. I, I don't I don't doubt that. I'm just saying it, it, it. Yes, they get eyeballs, but it doesn't matter where the hell the games play. I think no, the Rose Bowl. Doesn't matter if it's played in Pasadena, Rose, Phoenix, or Anchorage. Nah, there, there's there's a, there's something special with the Rose. Yeah, if there's. You, if you, no, I'm if sorry. You, that's, I grew up that's, in Big that's Ten. Old, that's old fogey talking. No, I, I that's still to the case today. Yeah. Like that yeah. game. You, you, you guys are giving way too much credence to something that doesn't exist. Jeff, that's, I grew up. I grew up in this in this area. Of, that matters. I, in yeah. Big Ten country, well, it matters. Drew, yes, I mean, well, but that's Drew, thirty years ago. No, Drew. no, Drew. Would you not agree? There's a lot of people in the Midwest not happy of USC UCLA being in the Big Ten because of the Rose Bowl. Get that, over it. They're still not happy with Nebraska being in the big right. Well, right. they can get right. well. They can get the hell over it. It's no, not it. about getting over it. It's it's about that's the mindset. I mean, you have to understand. You know, like you know, the mindset it's, down in the South is one thing. The Midwest okay. is something else. You have okay. to you have to understand respect that. No, you don't have to respect it. Evolve. Sure it is. It's tradition. No, it's tradition. Evolve, adapt, or die. Anyway, all right, well, let's move forward. Let's you mean move like forward. the master? It's a tradition like no unlike other. any other, right? Uh, people like tradition and nostalgia. By yeah, the look way, at too. yeah, look at what's happened with live golf. It's going to kill the masters. Watch. No, it is. <laughs> That's a much, that might be the dumbest thing I've heard in this no. history of the show. They're going to well, kill the PGA Tour. Or they're going to kill the, the PGA masters. Tour. Not the masters. The masters will link. Well, will survive and be fine. Yeah, the majors. That's all anybody cares about. All right. But the, there is a, it's a good segue. The playoff games. On campus versus bowl games. Where are these games going to be held at? That's the other question. What do we have? What do we know about that? For those well, of you I know, believe uh, it was already written that it, on it was, campus would have the first round. Yeah, first round. What about round, the quarterfinals? Those would be during the bowls. Oh, so basically you're saying that the regular season doesn't matter. Congratulations, no, guys. So basically, when Ohio no, State stop, plays Michigan, stop. you're no, playing gonna, for a bye week. No, I'm gonna I'm gonna stop right. I'm gonna stop you right there, no, because sure. the regular season does matter. Why? Okay? No, it doesn't. Because there are 130 teams in FBS college football, and even if it drops down to 70 with the big that league, would be great. That would be a great. Number. Even if it drops That's down a good to number. 70, That's a good with number. the ma with major college football, guess what? There's only 12 spots, so you can't tell me that the regular season doesn't yeah, yeah, matter. Yeah, no, but when no, 58 but teams at least are not going to make it. Sorry, talking point to try to scare down the expansion of the exactly. They said the same thing about it makes no sense. It's one. a dumb talking point. No, 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 no. Hey, let me look. How who got who won the Super Bowl? The Rams didn't have a bye. The NFL doesn't matter. The point is, it doesn't matter in college. That's the whole point. 
Ohio State can lose to Michigan for the next 10 years. It won't matter because they're going to be in the playoff. As long as they beat Michigan in the playoff, just like North Carolina beat Duke no, in the Final see, Four. There you go. You're yes. assuming that Ohio State and Michigan and some of these teams are going to be good every year. Yes. And that's not true. Yes. Nah, Mich- no. Michigan was only going to make the playoffs like, what, four, maybe four or five years. But what I'm, I meant Ohio yeah, State programs, is my point. Programs, programs go through cycles. Not anymore. Not anymore. Yes. Not Ohio State. Nope. Yes, Ohio State. Ohio, Ohio State, State was ask, a bad team in the, at the turn of the century. They won't yeah, that, yeah ask, that's because they shot Drew. That's because of John Cooper. What do you think? What do you no, think? That, John Cooper's coming back? Yeah, I got news for you. Michigan wasn't all that great until recently. Yeah, and I you mean, keep things, you keep telling me that Michigan's going to be great every year. Guess what? They've only they've only made the playoffs once. That's because they lose they to Ohio rocked. State every year. But look if at, you have an expanded at, playoff at, now, Michigan can get in. They'll be in at sixteen. Look at Michigan. Miami. Look at Florida State. Look right? at Florida. Yeah, they have uh, a yeah. better Florida chance State to was, be in now. Yeah, ten years, yeah. ten but, years but ago, everyone was saying pinnacle. Florida's going to be good forever. Guess what? All right, all right. Here, yeah. all right, whatever. It, here's the other point because uh, I want to bring this up. John Oran made a point of this. Look for Amazon to get involved in this. He reported on a March in and RN podcast, which just came out as we're recording this, that Amazon will be aggressive to get those early round playoff games. I know you're snickering, but this these people will take all money. These are prostitutes. They will take money from anywhere. If you put one playoff game on Amazon, you have just just tarnished your playoff completely. Don't do that. I, I'm definitely in, I'm, I'm intrigued with how how Amazon's going to be on the breaking because we know that part of the change of wait until 2026 is about getting away from the single carrier. Uh, that was what the Big Ten really wanted. They wanted the Foxes and the CBSs right, right, right. to get involved. So I'm, I'm actually very intrigued how the streaming side, and I don't think they're going to actually be able to pony up enough. I mean, yeah, Amazon's got a long, but I don't think they're actually going to pony up enough for one game or two games. I, I don't think their sports budget really fits it yet. Yet, uh, you know, they're they're still. I think they're going to wait and see how the NFL plays out. Right, and yeah, a little bit right before. That. Yeah, I think the Thursday night package is the bit guinea pig. But I, but yeah. again. I think, and they were close to the Big Ten. They were close to getting the Big Ten, NBC with the Peacock. They decided to go in a different direction because, you know, they got NBC and CBS involved. But Amazon was on the table for the Big but Ten. Peacock doesn't have any, isn't going to get relevant stuff. They're getting hand-me-down stuff. So they understand the value of of, of the set-top versus the streaming package. Right. And, and I think the, the, the people in charge of the CFP is going to agree with that. You don't see anything on ESPN Plus. I mean, they use ESPN um, 3, you know, as a kind of a wraparound part, but it's still primarily on ESPN. So I, I don't think that's we're going to see a streaming partner, at least this time around, maybe in the next contract. I can see that. Uh, that's fair. Uh, yeah. But I don't think it's going to be this round. Well, I hope you're yeah, right, Joe. I don't, I don't I think it is either because it's, you know, the habits haven't changed just yet. Um, there's still real questions about the quality of the telecast that you're going to get, the quality of the infrastructure that Amazon has in order to, in order to handle that. You know, that's that's still an open question. We don't know. We're going to have to pony up a lot of resources to even have the infrastructure to do this. Well, they 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 already own most of it with AWS, with Amazon Web Services, and those those that infrastructure is going to get taxed to its absolute limit, especially. As you get later on in the season, more people start logging on to watch Thursday night football games that have playoff implications. So they 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 have a lot to prove here, and 
you know, and we still have yet to see. It could be great. It could be a total disaster. Well, they're off to the a good th- start. They're off the, to a good start. We don't know. We don't know if they're off to a good and start. And over a million viewers have, for a meaningless preseason game. I think it was, that's a good start. It was a, it was a, it, it was curi- it, it was curiosity's sake. We're going to see if they we're going to see how good of a start they are in. I, I would conclude uh, it's curiosity's sake. I think it was the start. Yeah. Season it was the starting appetite of football. It was the starving appetite for football. Yeah, and I, and I think the other thing that they have to prove is, you know, w- what talent are they going to have? Al Michaels is not going to live forever. So you're going to, but yeah, but it's the same thing as we were just talking about with, with programs. You go up and down, you retool, you find new talent. I, yeah, there, I mean, there's that, broadcasters move around all the time. Yeah. It could do multi. I, I'm not. That's not a concern. That's yeah, because you're going to have the Foxes and the CBSs and all right. of them. They're going right. to be bringing up new talent. Right. in the NFL and whatnot, and then they'll right. they'll be able to sign them over. I that's not a worry. I yeah, don't think I, the I, talent I, is a big is okay. a big issue. It's more the fact All that right. can they handle two three times the the, the bandwidth that right. one of those games has, and and the NFL package will will help help build that up because they're gonna run into hiccups. They're gonna have hiccups. That's yeah. part of a new thing. And your and your internet providers too, uh, you know, because they own the rails, and so it's gonna be, you know. Uh, we're not get, we have not seen NFL football or 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 uh, this kind of th- this degree of streaming tested to this point. I don't think the at home is an issue, uh, only for the fact of people have been streaming football and other sports for a while with ESPN Plus and everything. The streaming level doesn't really change all that much. Uh, you're, it's just going to be volume from the Amazon side. I. <laughs> I would be curious to know Disney Plus isn't going to make a difference. Okay, but I, but I would streaming. be curious to know what it's going to be like in, you know, outside of urban areas where you have less internet infrastructure, where the internet infrastructure that you have is a little older than it is. Well, remember, not, though, not I, as well kept. Well, Amazon reached a deal with DirecTV, so you could go to a bar and watch the games this year on Thursday. So let's... People don't want to go to bars anymore, man. What are well, you talking no, about? To Jeff, <laughs> yeah, Eric, I think to, people to Jeff, still go. To Jeff's defense, they're, they're, he's got a valid, a valid point there. Uh, they're, I'm, my guess is Amazon will work with, with rural you know, network. Yeah, that'll work it at. I think you guys are arm waving that a little bit. I, it's I, football. I just, They're going to make it work. This ain't the MLS where like nobody cares. People care about football. They'll make uh, this it is work. this is a this is this is a bigger problem than you're making it out to be. And, 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 and listen, if it works, great. Good for Amazon. You know, that's, here's that's like thing. walking me, on the moon in the content business. Go ahead, Jerome. Let sorry. me let me flip the script a little bit to to actually support Jeff's position when it comes to the the stream you're going to eventually have a point where you hit a technology wall where you have to go to the next uh, level of resolution. Right. You know? And then that just takes more. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's going to be years down the road. And uh, that's, hope- uh, that's happening sooner than you Listen, think, man. Yeah, People are no, going to want to watch these games. They're going to want to watch these games. Dolby Digital Surround with 4K resolution. Yeah. And then well, right, as soon as we get that thing yet. It's not a thing yet. Right now, um, ESPN yeah. has been using 720 for the longest time. Right, uh, but, it's but there's com- a certain point because that that's base HD, not full HD. Uh, there's going to be a certain point where they're going to have to go up to 2K and then eventually 4K. And there, there's yeah. going to well, be demand. Uh, you know, the, the, there, the customers a, will start demanding for it. They're, they're already experimenting out there with 8K. All right. Well, so, this has gone way too geeky of a show. Uh, bottom line, if you're UCF, you brought it on. 
Yeah. But I didn't expect it to go this guy. geeky of a route. Uh, yeah, because I don't want the playoffs to be on Amazon. Yeah, well, um, that's your own damn fault. Anyway, just win the Big 12 if you're UCF. Otherwise, you're not in the playoff, more than likely. All right? That's the more of the story. <laughs> All right. Uh, Drew is at Statboy Drew on Twitter. Uh, oh, he's sticking around. He's going to give us a volleyball. Oh, yeah, he's going to stick around. Yeah, we got because we're going to bring Bryson in for segment three here and a little bit on the other side of the break to talk soccer, cross country, and volleyball when we return. Stick around. The Black and Gold Banner podcast is back after this. We are back here on the Black and Gold Banneret podcast. Jeff, Eric, Andrew with you. And Bryson Turner is in the house with us now to talk a little bit of volleyball, cross-country soccer as we have our uh, first full weekend of UCF sports going on. I want to start with volleyball, which uh, got their season off. Uh, their regular season uh, launched a week later than everyone else because of a quirk in the schedule. Coach Daz and I talked about uh, that in the um, preseason uh, preview that we had with him, but they started with uh, two matches Friday and Saturday. Friday, they opened up the season by sweeping the Syracuse Orange, who were coached by Bakir Ghanastrotnam, who had sp- had spent 11 years at Temple, and so UCF was pretty familiar with his sim- with his system. But came over to Syracuse, and uh, after what was a, a rather competitive first set, UCF uh, came out on top, and then put and then put them away. The storyline from that match was McKenna Melville getting her 2,000th kill, which makes her only the second UCF night to do that. She's also the only active player in America with 2,000 uh, career kills. Um, and, uh, yeah, let's go ahead and hear from McKenna real quick on that. means I have a good team around me. Um, to be able to get 2,000. First of all, I totally forgot about it. Somebody told me a while ago. I totally forgot so I remember when I got my 1,000th, I was four kills away in this game, and it took me like three and a half sets. So I just blank numbers out of my head. Because I am a math person, I'm always trying to calculate, oh, what was my passing average? How was I hitting? If I just flush the numbers and just play the game, it uh, just normally goes better, normally goes in my favor a lot more. Fitting that you got it with an Amber Olsen set you up, right? You two back together. It had to be yeah. that way. Oh, yeah. I, me and her have talked at length. We were like, all right, we're staying and we're staying together. It's an all or nothing deal. And that's what we decided back in November. It's like we're coming and we're coming together. Uh, to have her with me is really important. And I think we kind of go yin and yang. We understand each other enough now for five years. So we know what we're doing. That's uh, McKenna Melville at, uh, uh, at following the Syracuse match with UCF1. Uh, and then the following day, they had to come back. And it was, uh, this is a... Uh, a, a one of the better matches that we've seen in uh, recent times as the Knights went five against the Kansas state Wildcats and what really felt like a big 12 match uh, against the big 12 opponent. First time UCF has played a big 12 opponent since 2019. Uh, and the Knights came back from down two one to uh, force a fifth and, uh, and get the job done. Melville added another 27 kills uh and uh and ucf wins the match in five in a thrilling fashion eric you were on the mic for both of those matches um pretty much what we expected from this team but let's put mckenna melville aside for the moment because she's almost a given at this point who were the players who you thought really uh stepped it up for ucf in these first two matches of the season well, I think Abby Hansen, for one, the transfer from Oregon, I think gives them an offensive option in the middle that they haven't had. Yep. You know, I'm talking to Meg Fitzgerald. I think this is a more, I think this is the most talented offense they've had 
they have more variety offensively where they could score from different ways and one of them being up the middle. I really like the Claudia Dillon, Abby Hansen combo. Uh, you know, Zumach and the right on the opposite side really was big after the fir- after a struggle in the first set. She was really good against Kansas State. So, uh, you know, Emily I Wilson, Todd- too, I thought. Wilson, yeah. Todd even had said, I, I asked him in the post after Kansas State, he, he acknowledges this is the deepest team he's had, so they can go a lot of different ways variety-wise uh, with them. So I think those stands out. I think the liberos with Chloe Shear and, and Grimes, a year older, is solid. Uh, so look, I think they're really talented offensively. Be, uh, the question will be, obviously we said before the season, you don't have Amory Watson, you don't have Narissa Moravic. You lose something defensively. I think they're better offensively. How do they offset for what you lose blocking wise? Can, you know, is it a small deal? Can Claudia Dillon looks even better? Can she make up with that with some of the blocks? It looks like she can possibly with Hanson. So, uh, it's an up-tempo offense has more power. Uh, that's been a word that's been used a lot around that, that program right now, power in their offense. So uh, very pleased. Very, I think you have to be excited that from that standpoint. That Kansas State win was a big win for them because Kansas State's probably an NCAA tournament team. And, you know, they're going to play Miami coming up here this weekend. That's a mega matchup because if you're UCF, you've got to build resume uh, wins here uh, if you want to accomplish your goals or at least be in the mix to host. Yeah, they got Wilmington on Friday, UNC Wilmington, Miami Saturday, and then Sunday against Illinois, Chicago. The other player I thought, you know, performed um, uh, pretty well over, uh, or, uh, or actually before we get to that, I wanted to talk about uh, one of the other things that happened during the Kansas State match was we had a, a, an addition to the Ring of Honor uh, in a Kansas native, Emily Watts. Uh, now Emily Lambert uh, was inducted. Um, I remember playing her playing during the time when I was a student from 02 to 04. Um, one of the uh, really a, a truly great, just a rock solid right side, 29 kills in the 2003 ASUN championship match. Um, and, uh, and was a real, uh, I, I thought a real star on the other side from Tanya Jarvis. Um, who will also get inducted later this year. And of course, Meg Fitzgerald herself is going to get inducted as well, along with Delena Sardin. So a good, a, a good start to, uh, um, to honoring, you know, and catching up on honoring some of the great players in history. And, you know, it's hard for us not to feel old seeing, seeing some of those well, people, right, Eric? <laughs> yeah, it is, but it was good for Todd. I think Todd even said he had the players watch the ceremony. I think it's important for them to know the tradition of the program. So uh, I always like that. I'm a big fan of that, the Ring of Honor, and I think the selections were worthy, and it was fun. It added to it uh, on Saturday night, and that was fun. And we know this. McKenna will be there soon down the road at the Pat track she's going. And, you know, Amber Olsen, we have to address, she turned her ankle Friday night. Yeah, that was a little scary. That happened right in front of me in the PA spot. I was, I I started having flashbacks to Kia Bright when that happened, but she walked it off and went right back out there. Yeah, I watched her at practice Saturday. She said she was determined to play. This is Kansas State's a big match, and you couldn't tell that she was even less than 100%. So uh, big, she was tremendous too, uh, running that offense, because she's a big part of it because they go up tempo. One other player I think uh, that I wanted to mention, I'm sorry to mention her before, you mentioned you know, how do you make up for the blocking? And I think that one of the players who certainly made up for that and also held her own offensively was Heidi Bondi. You know, she's 6'4", yeah. she's a sophomore. Todd held her out of the first set against Kansas. And also she didn't play that. She didn't, I don't think she played against Syracuse at all. 
No, she didn't play and, against Syracuse. She brought her yeah, in for K-State. And he, no. brought, and he brought her in for K-State in the second, and she totally turned the match around. Uh, because she's, you know, remember she's six, four and she's listed as an outside hitter, but that's the kind of player that, you know, you were talking about, you, how do you make up for a player who was number three all time in UCF and blocks per set and Arisa Moravic? Well, it's kind of like, it's kind of the, the money ball theory, right? You can kind of make up for her in pieces and, and Bondi is one of those pieces. I think. No doubt. They got a lot of pieces. We'll see how they look here. This weekend, they've got Wilmington and UIC. The big one is the Saturday night one against Miami. Yeah, that's That's major ramifications. These teams always play five setters. They got one of the best setters in the country, Miami does, and Savannah Vack, who had a triple-double against UCF last year. They got a great middle blocker in Janice Leal. And look, for Miami UCF, this is big. You know, they both have aspirations to host. They, you know, I think this is a bigger game for UCF because Miami will have might have more swings at getting quality wins in the ACC than UCF will in the American. Uh, and look, Drew, all right, I, I make a note of this, Drew, because every fan base complains about the college football poll. Oh, why is this team ranked so high? Oh, no respect. So UCF got 55 preseason votes, the highest they've ever got, okay? Didn't play first weekend. Got knocked down to 13 votes. Okay, all right, I get it. You didn't play whatever. You beat Syracuse, you beat Kansas State. You're going to pick up some votes, right? No, they dropped us six votes. <laughs> Are you kidding me? They, so what, people, what people forget about the top 25 polls, oh, well, they, they should be at least like 37, 36. <clears throat> you, someone has to say you're worthy of being in the top 25. Someone has to vote you in the top 25 to get points. The problem is, you're, you're, you're using a great example of recency bias. You know, what have you done for me lately? And, you know, he has only played two matches. Other, look at Kansas State. Kansas State's played six. You know, the resume is just not there. I think in the end, it'll, it'll balance out. But well, I think know, UCF's been dogged. You know, look at how they did in the coaches' poll in, you know, was it last year? Last they, year, they never and got a single vote from never got American a single vote. coaches. Not you're right. That's the thing is that I'm the pettiest. The, is that there were I think I think there were Eric, correct me if I'm wrong here. I think but I think there were two coaches from the American who had AVCA votes. Right. Neither of them voted for UCF at all <laughs> last year. All year. Ouch. All year. I, that's good. Yeah, look, I mean, my point is. People complain about football, but at least in football, you know who's voting. And they actually, if you look at it, they do give the non-brand team some love. Now, you may think they're not ranked high enough, et cetera, but like the Americans had multiple teams in the rank, the Mountain West, et cetera. That ain't happening in a lot of these Olympic sports. That is, it's 10 times worse. So let me ask you, Eric, let me ask you. Is this a case of there's not enough voters? Because look at the AP poll. The AP was at 63 voters, 67, somewhere in that range. That's a so you get a very large swath of of writers across the country. And that's how you're able to get little bits here and there. Is there just is there not enough voters at that point? I, I don't even know. It's it's not so much that because you can't expect, you know, it, it, in the Olympic sports, you're, you're going to have, you can't have like everybody vote. But I think it's just perception. I think UCF will benefit from a, uh, in the Big 12 from that standpoint. Like it's clear. I mean, say what you will. 
but the the volleyball community does not respect the American Conference at all. Yeah. Look at look well, at the Big at Twelve. Well, 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 recent... One thing that I that I that I'm looking because I'm looking at the rankings right now, and I'm not seeing Kansas State on there, and I'm wondering if that has to partly do with the fact that if they weren't because if they weren't ranked before and UCF went and went to a fifth set against them like that could have contributed hey, you to, shouldn't be losing so, votes but, for well, hold on hold on I'm not done yet I'm saying that if that if that is indeed the case then we really need to put some stock on their upcoming matchups against Miami who has the most votes not ranked in the top 25 and then Kansas who's ranked number 19. Right. No, that's my point. That you see, you just you know, if you're patient, uh, we would have gotten there. That was my whole point. That's why the Miami match and the Kansas match are critical from that standpoint because you're not going to get credit for. You could go undefeated in the American and win in straight sets. You're not going to get credit. Not in this sport. Not in this well, sport. It's well in any sport that has a bad conference. I mean, it, the yeah. American is a bad conference when it comes to this sport. You have UCF and you know, and a pack of Skittles. I mean, it's. There's, there's really nothing there. Man, wow. Drew selling Houston and Cincinnati way short on that one. It's a better conference than that. Well, I'm going to have to pull out the show me on that because they certainly have not shown me that for the last no, look, years Drew, that UCF's dominated. Well, and that's why if you're UCF, you got to root for Cincinnati and Houston to do well. I think Cincinnati yeah. ended up beating FSU. Uh, well, if you're really, UCF, you did. should always be rooting for your American brethren to to well, do well thank you that, for saying oh, thank you yes yeah, say that because there's by the way that we should do that in all sports by the way you should <laughs> the, the, the vast preferences for every other team to win all their other games like every other team on UCF scheduled to win as many of their games as right like as I, possible. I was, right like i was seeing like a lot of people were happy that cincinnati lost to arkansas i'm saying if cincinnati beats no. arkansas that's good news for you because that makes that cincinnati game bigger day later exactly. in the year that that makes so it a I, better I, I win if ucf beats cincinnati I yeah. yeah, I again, the petty is strong, and a lot of people don't see the big picture. They just see what's in front of them. But it is interesting, though, because I think volleyball struggle has a hard time cracking the top 25, whereas soccer, women's soccer, they get in. They beat a bad Florida team and drew LSU, and they got in right away. So it's just interesting, the dynamics. Baseball always gets in ranked if they do well. Softball gets in quicker. It's fascinating the different the variety of sports and how they perceive those respective UCF mm -hmm. teams. It's fascinating from that standpoint. But the most important part before we move on, Mr. Drew Glukoff, our expert, yes. Jersey man. UCF going bold here, sleeveless, sleeveless yeah, look well, here. Well, now, before, before we yes. get into that, though, I wanted to bring up a couple points about this. And I mentioned this in the, in the volleyball recap. Number one, the players had input on this, along with the internal design team. That's why you'll notice the knighted font was used. Now, mm -hmm. we saw the... We saw the black jerseys. They're actually incomplete. They're supposed to come with a long sleeve undershirt that hasn't arrived yet. And I've been <laughs> and I've been I was told over the weekend that wait till you see the look with the with the undershirt because that's seriously awesome. All right. I'm like, okay, cool. We're also waiting on, and this is also the case with soccer, too. We're waiting on the white jerseys to come in. Yeah, the soccer. Well, the soccer kids there. They don't even. It was just. They haven't even gotten any of theirs yet. I they mean, don't have they're, any still, they're still in a shipping container somewhere. But, um, but 
I, I thought that that Drew, I want your evaluations on this because the players absolutely loved what they what, what well, was revealed to them, and I, and and they and they posted a video of it too. Let's start with just the design aspect. You, know, you look at comparing last year's to this year. Last year is a very, I mean, if you want to go describe it to like a football jersey, it's a lot like the black nitro jersey, the black nugget, where it had um, a colored neckline along with the 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 Michigan State's uh, numbering system. Mm-hmm. So they, this new black one that they introduced is a lot like UCF's night mode in football. Very much it's, so. In fact, uh, they called it night mode. It's because, well, and that and that's Terry Mahajra's thing. He wanted something devoid of all white, you know, black and gold. And I like to point out black and gold. Gold being used as the, as the accent, the secondary color. Yes, yes, we know you don't want gold as the main color. Okay, carry on. I, uh, if I hit it, if I hit it enough times, people who haven't quite figured it out might figure it out. No, those those who those who haven't figured it out by now don't want to figure it out. That's the thing. You, you can't give you can't give up on the crusade of of helping a hopeless cause. Uh, I'm I'm trying here. So so the new ones we, obviously we only have so much time, Drew. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this, the new design, it's actually also a little more form-fitting than I suppose the old ones. Uh, and I think that has to do with uh, the fact that because it's sleeveless, you have to you have to tighten them up. Uh, but once you get that undershirt, I'm at, I think that undershirt is going to really, really wrap it up and kind of make it almost like vest style. It, it, was, it was interesting because it, yeah, um, uh, they were saying that this, that this is much more of a European-style uniform. Because in Europe, you watch you know, professional women's volleyball teams they wear tanks they don't wear long sleeves yeah, um, and i think it looked good uh and, and the fact that you had a lot of arm sleeves to make up for the lack of yeah. sleeves that was, uh as you guys know from your time in gymnasium class as a kid sliding on the floor hurts and that yeah. burns and you're gonna scrape yourself up not yeah. just well not just not just that drew but also you know a 75 mile an hour volleyball coming in and hitting your arms. Yeah, that hurts too. That also hurts. <laughs> so, uh, but, uh, but yeah, the players loved it. Uh, the reviews were, were fantastic. Um, well, I think the, more uh, but more to people, me, the most important thing is, is do the players like it? Yeah. They loved it. I think more people are, are, are learning to embrace this number, this new font. Uh, I think originally I people thought the, the old font was somehow uniquely UCF's. It, it never was. It wasn't. No. And and a lot of people, I think, are finally realizing it wasn't UCF's number. And um, I think that's I think that's finally starting to to get in people's heads of hey, this font, this whole numbering font and, and the name and the names, it's a unique font that is UCF's hmm. now proprietary font. I, mean, I would love for them to like release it as like a downloadable font, you know, and like and charge like five bucks for it or something. Oh, I, I'd you can, pay five bucks for that. Oh my god, I would too. Like, like donate now. it, donate it five bucks to the charge on fund, get the font. Boom, and, and and like you put it on your computer, you can do whatever it is. I, I, I and the, here's the other thing that's cool about, and I wanted to make this one last point before we move on to soccer, is. You know, we talked about how, Drew, you, you've mentioned many times, there's a very good possibility UCF moves on possibly from Nike at some point in, in the next couple of years. Possibly we stay, there's a possibility we might not. 
that font being designed in-house means that it is now portable. It is. You know, and I think that and that's there's value really that. important. There, yeah, there's tremendous value in that because, you know, you can say, you know, because a lot of fans complain, you know, and I see it on social media all the time. You know, oh, well, I, I you know, there's there are not a lot, but a few very, very vocal fans are, are complaining about the possibility of moving away from Nike. Look, if you keep a lot of the if you keep your the bulk of your design elements in house and you, you can take them from manufacturer to manufacturer, that creates consistency in your brand, which is a rare thing when you move it, it if and when you decide to move from one apparel provider to the other well no matter what there's going to be differences uh, that, that's a that's yeah. a gift yeah but those differences are alleviated at least somewhat by that so that's just a point that i want to make it's a brilliant brilliant uh strategic move by ucf and kudos again to the design team um who have nailed it once again all right let's flip over to soccer i want to talk about the women's side they're two one and two uh, they, uh, their next game is Thursday, uh, on, uh, 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 or no, excuse me. They, they were scheduled to play at North Florida on Thursday. Uh, that game got wiped, uh, due to weather, Florida strikes again. Um, but then they were back home on Sunday, September the 4th to play Ole Miss. Eric, you were on the mic again for this one. They fell down to nothing, came back, scored, uh, a, a, a goal in the 47th minute, Anna Henderson from Deanna Martin, a great pass by Deanna, who's uh, Deanna Martin has turned, I think, into the point guard for this team. Uh, and she was able to create opportunities late. They had one that went off the woodwork in the last couple of minutes um, that this team ran step for step with Ole Miss, didn't get the result. Um, what was your evaluation off the end of that game? I know that they were pretty disappointed that they couldn't at least get a draw out of that one because Lord knows at certain points in the second half, they played well enough to do it. Um, still, it was their first loss of the season. Still, they're at 2-1-2 and two, uh, as they get ready to play North Carolina on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, they lost a quality team in Ole Miss. Sweet 16-type caliber team, I think Ole Miss is. I think the disappointing part for them is they just didn't come out well. Ole Miss dominated pretty much the first 20-25 minutes of that match. After that, you could argue UCF, especially in the second half, outplayed Ole Miss, hit a post a couple times. Yeah. Uh, could have easily gotten a draw. I mean, Ash, they have a tremendous goalkeeper, and Ashley Orcus does Ole Miss, who's a two time SEC goalkeeper of the year. But even so, could, they got a couple pass there and just, just one, got one. Yeah. Could, just couldn't get, fit it know. in the frame. Uh, so, you know, it was a tight match. I think, you know, talking to Tim Sahadak, the associate head coach afterwards, he was just disappointed the way they came out. I think he felt like if they would have played like they did the, the last 70 minutes or so, the first 20 minutes, maybe it's a different match and things like that. He was kind of perplexed, but that's what this team has to learn is to play a full 90, and that's what it's going to take when they go to North Carolina uh, as this schedule gets a lot harder now with Carolina coming uh, Chapel Hill. Then you've got Memphis for conference and Texas on the road at some point. So. That's the thing. They got to play for a full 90 minutes. Now, the big story, before you wonder how if this impacted perhaps how UCF started, Kristen Scott was a late scratch. Uh, Bryson, let's go to you here because you've been talking to your sources about what actually happened. Tell us what your sources told you about what happened to Kristen Scott. Because for full disclosure, I was getting we were doing our open 
Uh, and next thing we know, we get the word, hey, Kristen Scott is out. Katie Bradley's in in the starting lineup. We, we didn't see anything. You were working your, your sources, Bryson. What can you tell us? So basically my sources told me that Kristen Scott went down during warmups. Uh, I was then told, um, pointed out that she was basically sitting on the bench for uh, sitting on the bench for the rest of, for, for, for the whole game and losing her. I think, especially if, if, if I'm going to understand that she was, if, because she was a late scratch that she was intending on playing, having a person that is crucial to your goal scoring as Kristen Scott has been this season taken out could certainly take the wind out of this team's sails going into this game. Now, luckily they managed to overcome that, but unfortunately it just wasn't enough against a number 13, a 13 ranked old miss. So I think what this team really needs to get on is that they need to be able to really orchestrate some goal scoring opportunities apart from Kristen Scott. This is the part where like Mallory Olson, Deanna Martin, Anna Henderson, and Mia Senho, they all need to step up because if right, we don't Scott right because we don't know Scott's status. Uh, he was at Tim Sahadek was asked about it after the match. Said that at the time, hey, the doctors are checking taking a look at her, and we just don't have any information. Um, obviously that was Sunday. By now, they probably have an idea, but we don't know, and they're going to be on the road for a while, so we may not know exactly. So we're going to have to monitor this. If we see Scott in the lineup, great. If we don't, uh, that could then we're going to be wondering. But in the meantime, to Bryson's point, other players will have to step up, uh, and you know, Anna Henderson did that on Sunday night in the second mm-hmm. half, but others will have to step up on that. Uh, that's something to monitor because to me, Kristen Scott is, I mean, certain players just have that gift to put the ball behind the net. There's not many of them. Kristen Scott's one of them Uh, that hopefully she's okay. And we'll be back soon. If not this Sunday soon. Mallory Olson uh, actually led UCF with uh, three total shots, two shots on goal in 45 minutes of action. It still feels like Mia Asenho, who you mentioned, Eric is is still kind of feeling her way into the season a little bit. Yeah. I'm looking forward for her to really break out in this opportunity. I think, I think this, I think this North Carolina match coming up on Sunday in Chapel Hill, 1 PM. Uh, do we have TV for that one, Eric? Yeah. ACC network extra, uh, okay. on your streams there. And that be, is that available on ESPN plus? Uh, it should be available on your stream. I don't, it's not necessarily, I don't think it's plus, but it's kind of like your regular ESPN, like, Oh, okay. Regular cable stuff, like if you go SEC Network Plus, AC, it's kind of that version. So that should be available. Mm-hmm. Tiffany roberts Hadak will be back, by the way, to coach UCF. She was not with the team for the old mismatch because she was the assistant. She was serving as the assistant for the U.S. national team in a couple of friendlies against Nigeria, which Team USA won. Bryson and I spoke to Tim Sahadak about that, about Coach Sa- Tiffany being with Team USA and how that impacted the team and the experience. And uh, also, Tim, as far as what he's learned from the team and kind of how they've dealt with that. Uh, it's an incredible opportunity for her. I mean, personally, professionally, um, for her to be back, you know, with the best team in the world and around really um, high performers, I think it's an incredible opportunity for her, um, you know, professionally to learn from the best and be around the best. I mean, we've already grown so much in what we do here um just doing things better from an organizational standpoint from a tactical standpoint um there's just so much that we can still learn so it's, it's a great opportunity for us two more 
Coach, this was your first time back under the at least the head coaching duties, at least in name, <laughs> since you you and your wife yeah. were co-head coaches at VCU. Yeah. But even if it, um, now, I, what what was it like to be back in the head coaching position again? Even if it was just in, even if it was just in name only. Uh, really, it's no different in the way that we operate. Other than usually Tiff is the one pulling my shirt and making me sit <laughs> down in my chair, so I didn't have her to really uh, have my back uh, and calm me down. But um, no, we just just kind of business as usual. Really. Obviously, you go to North Carolina, homecoming for you and Tiff. Nothing new yeah. there. What's the approach going to UNC? What have you learned about your team here? It's still early. That was a, that was an NCAA quality yeah. match there. Yeah, I mean, we expect Ole Miss to be one of the best teams in the country. I mean, I think they're 12 right now. I mean, that, that's probably a fair assessment of where they're at, if, if not, you know, in the top 10. So um, we know we can compete with anybody. I think what we've learned from last year and, you know, what we're still continuing to learn is that we have to be consistent and be able to do it every night. Um, despite where we are, who we're playing, we have to be able to put in our best performance because, you know, teams like Carolina, um, they're used to doing that. So that was Tim Sahadak after the postgame. Great little stat here. Tim Sahadak was the uh, basically served as the head coach basically on Sunday night as the he's the yeah, acting head coach. head coach. Head coach. It is the first time that UCF women's soccer has not had either Tiffany Roberts Sahadak or Amanda Cromwell be the head coach down on the bench for a match since 1998. When then Karen Richter, the Hall of Fame goalkeeper, who was the head coach and is now that has been the head coach at Auburn since 1999, when she left UCF to go to Auburn, she's still the head coach at Auburn. She was the head coach. They were in the NCAA tournament. Her associate head coach that year, Matt Mott, who's the head coach at Ole Miss, who was here this Sunday night. How about wow. that? Huh? Funny how things come full circle. How about that? Today. It's kind of wild. So we got uh, UNC ACC Network Plus Sunday, 1 p.m. In, in Chapel Hill. And then after that, Eric, guess what? Next Thursday, cool. 7 p.m., American Athletic Conference play begins. Memphis, too. And Memphis yeah. in what could be. Right out the gate, man. Oof. Could be the final time UCF Memphis ever play in yeah. uh, women's soccer, at least as conference mates. I hope not, because man, this team, these two teams have gone at it for so many years, yeah. and, and every time it's it's intense. It's everything that you that you want college soccer uh, to be about. So yeah, yes, likely last time they'll meet in conference, but hopefully we'll see them again uh, more on down the line. Uh, over to the men who had two games scheduled uh, this week. Friday at 7 p.m. at Florida Gulf Coast, it was ruled a no contest due to weather. Once again, the weather biting. Man, we need this 21st century model so bad so we can move the, the fall season back. Up You're the there. We just, mainly just need to put it in uh, indoors for soccer in August yeah, and September. Or something, or man. I don't know. Let's play some indoor soccer like the Crusaders. Ruled a no contest with UCF up one nothing. Luca Dorado scored a goal in the first half, and then it didn't. And then lo and behold, it didn't count. So forget it. You didn't see it. Uh, it never happened. So uh, that brings us to this past Monday when UCF took on UC Riverside out of the Big West, one of two uh, one of two Big West opponents that uh, UCF is playing in these two matches because they head out to Irvine, California, to play UC Irvine at Anteater Stadium, Eric Lopez, on, on September 9th, Friday. Um, and I want to get Bryson in here on this one because they, they beat Riverside 3-0 and it looked like there were a couple of kinks that they worked out because they're now two and one on the season. 
Uh, Gino Vivi scored a goal. Luca Dorado scored a goal, which is exactly what we want to see. Josiah Ramirez scored uh, scored as well uh, in uh, late in the second half. Um, but you know, it, it was this. This is what you wanted to see: is those two guys, Gino and Luca, uh, getting it going. And this was a classic UCF uh, UCF game. They put the pressure on. Uh, Eighteen shots to Riverside's eleven. Uh, and uh, and got the job done on the home pitch. Yeah, yeah, Luca Luca Dorado. Um, I remember he mentioned hearing that he had a preseason injury that he was trying to work off of. Uh, it looks like that he's slowly progressing on that front. What I what I'm really impressed so far is Mauricio Villalobos. He's been serving as the te- as team captain for the past three seasons now, so he's very much a big leadership pillar on this team. But his on-field on field performance has been actually doing very well so far this season. Last last time against North Florida in the last official, you know, completed match the, ga- the guys played, he ended up getting that really great heads-up goal uh, against North Florida to give them the win. Tonight, he got two assists on both Gino Vivi's and Luca Dorado's goals. So he gets his first two assists on the year there. I mean, Villalobos... I'm just I'm impressed with how heads up he's been throughout the rest of this year. But to see Vivi and Dorado, they've also also be performing well on all cylinders. Dorado finally gets his first official goal of the season to count after the FG because that goal that they scored in Florida Gulf Coast, that was Luca that that made that. Right. That, right. Now, that that, I think white. they should I think that should count towards his individual standing. You gotta play 70 minutes to make it. I get I get it. I I get it, but you know, it's kind of like when the NCAA, you know, penalizes a team by like taking all, away their wins because of an ineligible, because of an ineligible player or something. It's like, come on, man! I saw what happened. You know, I, it, it, you can't. You know, I, now I'm not saying it should count toward the team stats, but it should count toward the individual stats. I mean, I I would love that because that would mean Luca Dorado would be one goal closer to getting to two, the top ten all time in career goals. Exactly. Both Dorado and Vivi, by the way, both of them sit at eighteen goals. Last I checked, so they're so they so they are about I believe five goals off, both of them from the top ten all time. By the way, the watch this season. Let's let's not forget for those who are like, yeah, but it didn't count. Oh yeah, tell that to the bus driver. Tell that to the guy, to the director of operations who's handling the gas bill for that bus trip down to, hey, he's down happy. to he's Fort Myers. Hey, hey, he's getting paid. He's happy. Well, yeah, they got, yeah, the guy who paid for the, the gas company's happy. The bus, the yeah. charter bus company's well, happy. Well, uh, yeah. What do they do? Just take a joyride down there? Come uh, on. Well, I, well, the big story to me about this team is it's not we- like they were out at Marco Island or something. It happens. I don't know what to tell you. Mother Nature, you know, move. Maybe soccer team moved the season back or something. Count count the individual goal toward the time and just and just rule the game a no contest. I yeah, that's not how it works. Otherwise, every I mean, can you imagine? I know that's not how it works, but what I'm saying is that's how it should work. Then you're saying that a home run should count if you hit it in the second inning, the game gets rained out in the third. Yes. Eh, it's not gonna happen uh, statisticians that's a statistician nightmare actually statisticians yeah, don't like that on. the biggest story here to me though is ucf's got a goalkeeper and uh, yes they we've do seen him, we've seen him now for three matches and Juandi is is really good and i think they're getting better Juan it's, v. Munoz. it's a great name coach calabrese they're getting better we'll see how they do on the west coast 
and uh, you've still got some things to sort out, but you want to be hopefully you have those resolved by the time you get to conference play. Riverside Irvine, uh, by the way, I should say, uh, sorry, Bryson. Um, these two teams are competitors for the Big West Conference right now. So th- this is not these are not cupcakes out here. Yeah, uh, this is this is the kind of team that UCF could very well see in the first or second round of the NCAA tournament if they get that far into the field of 48. Go ahead, Bryson. I'm sorry. I also wanted to mention one other one other uh, tiny side story that happened at the UC Riverside game is that you is that the men's soccer team got Clement Guillen going. He's French. I can't pronounce the last name. On the he's a midfielder on the field for the first time. He was a late addition to the men's soccer roster only announced like right before this game happened and and Calabrese managed to get him out on the field for 13 minutes and talking to him after the game he said that for someone that wasn't able to be in at preseason training with the team he performed very well for those 13 minutes so I'm actually quite interested to see what what he what he will be able to do in the in the midfield once he gets a little more training and experience under him and you can watch entire interview with coach calories along with all the other post games from all of the events we've talked about on the black and gold banner at youtube channel yeah Clema is a uh five six freshman from cayenne france uh he is so new that he has uh no bio and no headshot because his uh his headshot is the night head right now so it, it arrived pretty arrived pretty late um you know like only in soccer you can come and go man can come and go and yeah no really i mean you got to be enrolled for some classes right i mean he's september be... 2nd they announced the ucf athletics website announced him as on as an addition to the roster on september 2nd so he's not even yep. been here he's not even been here a week yet right right so bryson you said that when did the semester actually start the semester actually started about all uh, late august that what was uh, the what was the come on man you're a student you should have known this it should have been ingrained into your head <laughs> i've been keeping up i have been keeping up i have been keeping up with classes i have a portfolio to submit at the end of the semester Chad. fair point fair point fair point i'll give that to you but but, but I, I i what i'm saying what i'm getting at is he was he must have been here for the start of classes and then you know and, and then it w- and then was ruled eligible to play fairly recently i'm guessing here's official cl- all right i just found it officially classes began on monday august 22nd okay so yeah i, I mean I, you can't I, I don't think you can start that late right i mean if you're a if you're a regular student it's so well, it says he transferred in from Collège Jean Malin of his hometown of home. Yeah, it's probably one of those you wait till he's cleared and all that. Remember that Jeff last year when I was it like a couple years ago when Alicia Lewis was announced that she was uh, good to go to play for UCF. Literally, they announced it the day of the opener of the season. Hey, she's yeah. good to play now. So it's yeah, probably but, one of those. That's, right, right, but right. but that's also but there's a difference between being eligible to play and you know enrolled in classes. Right, right. You know but what I'm I mean? saying so, is they probably were. You know, checking, make sure everything's all in the good and all good. That's okay, probably. The but yeah, well, that's what I think is is kind of interesting because he's because so, he's so new that you know none of his stuff is up there. All right, so men's soccer two and one uh, with a no contest mix in there uh, and heading out to uh, California to play UC Irvine. That that game is on ESPN Plus 
9 p.m. Eastern time Friday night. So that'll be taking place across from the football game. Uh, Time zone. (laughs) But hey, well, listen, 7.30 kick for football, 9 o'clock kick for soccer, which means second half, you know, you can get the laptop out. Put yeah, this, UCF will hopefully UCF will already hopefully put the game away. If you're in, if you're in yeah. if you're in the stadium, get your phone out. All right, keep an eye on the soccer team playing Riverside. Uh, they knock in a few goals, and then we can focus on the football game. Yeah, come on, yeah, we can multitask here. This is 2022. We're able oh, to we do know this. Bryson will Bryson will do that. I got yeah. my I have my Apple TV that can split screen. I can I I will definitely do that, and yeah. uh, hopefully they can get some more votes because right now UCF is receiving six of them in the coaches poll at the moment. All right, that's what we're hoping for. Hopefully they'll be able to get that to, get that going soon. Um, last little bit, Bryson cross country started their season. You got your we got your our preview up with Anne Marie Blaney uh, as a special guest analyst, which I thought was really great. Be sure you check that out at blackandgoldbanneret.com. Uh, hosted the home meet to start out. How did it go? Uh, I, for a home meet, I would say it started very, it, it started all right. Florida was there. Florida's a dominant cross country power in the state. They took the win fair. That's, that's fair. They got, they won by, uh, they won by 28 points over UCF. It was you, Florida got 37, UCF got 65. Basically, I explained this in the preview, but how cross Right, the lower the score, the better you do. Right. Basically, yeah. each position is, whichever position you get is the number of points you get. First place gets one, second place gets two, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, UCF actually got the second place finisher in overall in that meet in true freshman Isabella Richardson. I got to talk to her after the after the meet it's on the black and gold banneret youtube channel and with now that with valerie lastra not returning to the team this year i think isabella richards richardson is going to be taking the spot of like the kind of the lower stick runner coach jackson's mentioned how you always want to have one runner that can go for the lowest number of points possible and isabella richardson looks like the runner that can do just that this was her first 5k on American soil, Jeff, and she ran 10 seconds below her personal best. Yeah, you see, I've had a couple of people uh, t- put on a new personal best. I thought I saw one one runner actually uh, shaved one minute off of her personal best in the 5K. Yes, that was Paige Kelly and Sophia, and Sophia Lance. Unfortunately, Dang. they didn't finish among the top seven, which means that their which means that their point values didn't count towards the team. But the individual progress and that because that and Amberie Blaney mentioned how you really want to have that pack mentality yeah. with cross country. And the faster that the rest of your team gets then the better off your team is. So the individual improvement from Lance and Kelly can certainly help the team to help the team down the road. I'm just very, for me, I'm just very intrigued because Isabella Richardson put on such a solid performance, not racing a 5k officially for the first time on a new continent. She talked about how racing in Florida is a lot different from racing in her native New Zealand and it's it's actually very interesting yeah. when you think about it because she talked about how racing on sand actually slows you down a little bit more because because uh, New Zealand doesn't really have that, and then the weather's completely different too. 
it's it's honestly quite interesting and yet she still put on a performance that was that that was 10 seconds below her personal best once i think she gets a little more acclimated to racing on american soil i am very intrigued to see what she will be capable of all right so we'll be looking forward to that when's their next meet their next meet is going to be at the North Alabama Showcase on Friday, September 16th. It's going to preview the uh, the course that they will be going to for the NCAA South Regional. That, that they are, John Hunt Park is the place in Huntsville, Alabama. That's going to host the NCAA South Regional. And so now they're, they're going to get a chance to preview that course up very, very soon on Friday, September 16th at North Alabama. All right. So that should be a lot of fun to uh, to keep an eye. We'll be I know you'll be keeping an eye on that as as you do with all the other sports. And Bryson, thanks again for your hard work in getting everything uh, on the up and up for soccer, cross country, and volleyball. All right, that will do it for our show. Look at you are all caught up, ladies and gentlemen. I want to, we want to thank Roy Philpot for joining us from uh, ESPN. You can listen to him, Andre Ware, and Paul Calcaterra uh, on the uh, telecast on ESPN two. Uh, on uh, 7.30 on Friday, UCF against Louisville. Be there. Uh, you know that I will be there. Uh, uh, Eric and Bryson, I know you guys will be following the game, that following that telecast uh, for the game. Uh, what do you guys have in store for Friday night? We'll be doing night shift post game. We'll recap it all. Get Take your comments and questions uh, from social media and on our chat room. Hope to have Kyle Nash from the stadium too. We'll break it down and uh, like I said, we'll have that on our YouTube channel live on Black and Gold Banner and then on our podcast feed as well. So look for that on the podcast yep. feed. And Drew will be at the stadium uh, as well. So will uh, Derek Warden taking all the photos and we'll be looking out for all the content coming up. Plenty of previews to uh, to take care of as well as we move forward um you know for for the upcoming game not just that but all the preview work that we have coming up uh, for this big Louisville game revenge game. Big time on Friday night. This this might be Eric. This might be the the most intense bounce house atmosphere maybe since COVID. Do you think? I mean, the weather cooperates. Sure. Yeah, uh, that's always the, always the asterisk there. I know, but um, I'm trying to think. Like 2022. I mean, yeah, Boy- Boise was kind of like the 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 return game from all that. Um, maybe no, no, no. Look, this is the marquee game of the home schedule. I think this is yeah. the game everybody's circled. Uh, should be. I'm a- looking forward to a sellout. I'm hoping that the weather. I'm hoping that the weather treats us the way it treated us last Thursday, where you know it. Whatever it had to do, it got done early, and we go. were able to get the game out. We were able to get the game going on time. So, um, you know, again, stay with us for all the latest on that. Uh, Follow us at blackandgoldbanneret.com. We are your home for UCF sports on SB Nation. Follow us on Twitter, UCF Banneret underscore SBN. We are on YouTube, Black and Gold Banneret. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash black and gold banneret. And of course, on Instagram, Black and Gold Banneret as well, where we have all our latest post game sound. And then also just the amazing photos that Derek and Noah have been putting up. I just, They've been absolutely killing it on that stream. And I just, every time, man, I'm just like in awe of the work that they do. And I hope you guys are too. John Rice Plumley was, was, uh, was, was even uh, giving Noah some love on some of the photos from the South Carolina state game, which was awesome. Uh, you can also subscribe to this podcast. If you don't already on Apple and Android, if you do, we thank you. Don't forget to leave us a rating 
And uh, yeah, don't forget to follow us individually. I'm at Jeff underscore Sharon. Eric is at Eric Lopez Elo. Bryson at It's Bryson Turner. Drew is at Stat Boy Drew. And Kyle is at VSOTG. Don't forget to follow underscore DS Warden and the Noah Goldberg, our uh, staff photographers here at Black Gold Banner at for all their latest work from all the UCF sporting events they're at. For all of us here at Black and Gold Banner, I'm Jeff Sharon Singh. Thank you so much for listening. We will see you Friday night, UCF Louisville, 730. See you there, folks. Go nice. Charge on.